yeah, it's it's an hour's worth of music that's not anything I would go out and buy, or even something that I would actually put on to Spotify, or I would go actively looking for from people I've never heard of, mm. but just perfect to sit at a computer and work. Yeah, draw. It's it's not something that I'm going to start singing along to because I don't know it. It's not something I'm going to. Uh, get sort of distracted by particularly there's no moving pictures yeah it's the same image for an hour so it's just something to listen to and yeah, yeah, Steve put me onto lo-fi as a search term for that sort of stuff it's just background music essentially but it's not you know it's just like one long continuous yeah sort of thing which is yeah kind of like for specific focus and stuff well, spot on Spotify. Somebody gave me a recommendation a few years ago, and I can't remember who it was. It might have been Steve on Fools of Tools. You never know, because um, sometimes it comes out with some good little hints and tips and things. But it's to listen to gaming music. So on Spotify, mm. there, are, there are playlists that are kind of you know game music for concentration, game music for relaxation. Um, and they're actually very good. And yeah, they are. I was yeah. looking into. I was looking into. I was, I was looking into the kind of almost the psychology of it. And of course, gaming music is designed to create the right amount of tension to get you into a game, mm -hmm. but also to feed the kind of the right rhythms to to get you to kind of concentrate and be relaxed enough to stay on the game so it's it's kind of it's brainwashing basically yeah it's it's similar sort of concept to like binaural beats and stuff isn't it it's it's yeah. that kind of uh trying to trying to get the brain waves into that either you know sort of hyper focused state or yeah that's essentially what what games are is just this uh, that's why a lot of people with like neurodiverse stuff um tend to be quite into video games because it's it's a very quick and easy dopamine hit that's very easy to focus on so i i actually cannot play video games because i like them a little too much like i'm i'm the guy who will start a game and four days later i i'm a hot mess and i've lost my job because yep. <laughs> I have not stopped playing the game for four days, and and there is no there is no middle ground for me. It is basically my heroine. I can either play games continuously until I starve myself to death, or not play games. So That's I don't, like I don't my wife's, play video games. My wife's kind of approach is, is very similar. She she'll allow herself like every every couple of years she'll allow herself a game that she'll play, and she okay. will. You know, lose several months of of her life to just you know every, every kind of opportunity. She'll just play and play and play. She can still sort of function as a you know member of society as well. But okay. It will be just like all of her free time will be consumed by that, and then she'll get it out of her system, and then won't touch another game for a couple of years. It's very much that kind of like all or nothing. Yeah, I, I've taken that approach. I spent far too long when I was doing my levels playing. Uh, elite, the first elite. It shows how long ago it was, and that that kind of yeah that consumed every waking moment 
that I could possibly put to it. So I used to do my homework in school because when I got home, I wouldn't do my homework. <laughs> I'd just be playing that. I'd be kind of eating and, and playing that. I was, I was very, I, I was so disappointed. I spent, I, I got good at it. I was good. I, you know, I built up you know, a, a really good spacecraft. I had all the weaponry, every possible thing you can get. And I had the, the hyperdrive to go to the next galaxies. And I, I'd done everything you could possibly do. You know, I, I, was, I was taking on the pirates. I was really going for it with kind of whoever. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd take on anyone. Yeah, I'd go, I was, sometimes I'd go between the kind of the really dodgy sort of planets in order to get, you know, lots of profit. Got the hyperdrive, really built back my profits back up, made sure I had top notch of everything, maximum credits I could get. Hit the hyperdrive, and nothing happened at all. <laughs> and I was just like, "No." And I've I've pretty much stayed away from games ever since. Although I must admit, when uh, Epic Games released Elite, the new version of Elite for free, I did install it but i have not played it <laughs> so i've got it and maybe one day i might sit down and maybe when my kids have left home and they don't require feeding quite so often so so uh, that you're you're basically you're the equivalent of the alcoholic who keeps a bottle of whiskey in the cabinet yeah just just <laughs> it's there but it, it stays yeah. it stays tightly closed all right and yeah. I, I, that's what i like about wordle because Wordle, you get one a day. That's it. Okay. You can't do any more. Yeah, I'd, fact, I'd if been I, if completely I wake after midnight, ignorant I'll do, on the, all do the next one. I'd been completely ignorant of all that. I'd seen loads of stuff about Wordle, and I was like, I, I've no idea on this thing. And then a few, well, a couple of days ago, the the other lads in the Maker's Waffle WhatsApp group started talking about it, and I stupidly said, what is this stuff? And now I'm two days in. It's I'm about. I'm 22 days in I think 23 days it's over three weeks continuous that I've been on it yeah I'm I'm trying to cut down on the number of things that distract me every day so I'm not I'm not even <laughs> not even gonna go looking or asking if if any of you assholes send me an invite I'm gonna blow <laughs> it off I don't know if that's a thing you can do with Wordle but I'm not gonna do it yeah just just leave the link blue don't click it <laughs> yeah yeah See, I find even if I buy a newspaper, we don't we don't get a newspaper on a regular basis, but quite every now and again we'll get. Normally, the I is the paper we tend to get if okay. we buy a paper, which is it, it started out from the Independent, and it, it as a newspaper I like it because it's there's there is opinion on stuff, but it's opinion on like, oh, was this film any good? Or did you know, this this theatre thing, mm. or this book, that doesn't tend to be much in terms of opinion on the news. So they tend to report a lot of news, but basic the basic facts of it. They tend not to try and interpret too much okay. of it. There's obviously you've got humans involved. There's always going to be some, but right. it, it, it's to me it appears to be one of the least biased papers. Because in the UK we've got some seriously biased papers. 
Oh, yeah. we don't have that problem at all in America. Uh, oh, look at you. <laughs> um, no. I think we've got, I don't, know if it's just, I don't know if it's the case in the States. I'm not even going to mention this particular paper, but there is a particular British newspaper, which I believe is possibly the most bought newspaper in the UK. It's first or second. I think it's the first that is uh, officially Wikipedia will not recognize as a source of information. And considering that Wikipedia, they're fairly relaxed about where the yeah. information comes from. Where, well, you can cite whatever you like, but this one particular newspaper, they will not allow you to cite any information from it. There's Which a couple says something, that are very much up there, yeah. like neck and neck between uh, one that's a stellar body and the other one that's a daily newspaper that's often a complete fail. Yeah. And it's, I mean... So I tend, to, I tend, we, I tend, we stay away from stuff like that. But the eye, the thing I really like about the eye is that every day you get four full pages of puzzles. No, oh, okay. On the weekend, on Saturday, because there's no Sunday for one. On Sunday, I think you get six or possibly even eight. Yeah, it's eight on a Sunday. So if I buy it, I tend to sit and do all the puzzles. Till they're done. Nice, that's a nice it's ritual. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's just yeah, it's it's like puzzles and games. Okay, I I'm, I'm kind of a bit like you. I I could not. I think it would be a very bad thing. We've got a we've got a Wii console wise. We've got a Wii. We bought it for the kids when they were uh, yeah still in single digits, age wise. And I, yeah, I thought so you were going to say like, quantity then. Yeah, <laughs> they were. Um, well, still in single digits, quantity-wise. Yeah. Uh, the so they you know, used to play together, play Mario Kart and things like that. But even then, I would play with them. But I, I've I've never deliberately gone onto the Wii to play by myself. So I'll play with them, but I will mm. not play individually. Because if I start, that's it. Yeah, that's 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 fair. Yeah, I, mean... yeah, I don't know. I've got I've got so much stuff going on. It is so hard for me to indulge in in <laughs> stuff like that. And and I know from like a psychological perspective, I should like you can't be on all the time. Mm. Uh, but I, 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 I am one of those busy people who struggles with, like, if I'm if I'm not doing a, something productive, then I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, I, I struggle with uh, relaxing and chilling out as well, John. <laughs> what? What's the? What's the yeah, you define <laughs> those terms for me. Yeah, yeah. That's been my my active decision. Um, over the last sort of few months to try and actually like learn to not be feeling guilty for not being productive. Well, so that was one of the nice things about, so yesterday uh, here in southern New England, we had a nor'easter, so a, a very large snowstorm. 
and and very severe high winds lots of snow uh, uh probably i think we got up somewhere between one and a half and two feet um which is uh i don't know how many kilograms in <laughs> to speak 60 centimeters yeah okay so we got in but yesterday was it was whiteout conditions there was a travel ban like cars if you weren't uh driving or in an ambulance or or uh, like you know a snow removal machine then you weren't allowed on the road and Mm -hmm. and it was honestly it was kind of nice because it was well i i can't go to the shop so i i think i'm just gonna hang out today and and I'll I'll drink tea and I'll read a, and it, and I didn't feel guilty because if, literally if I got on the road to go do something at the shop I would be breaking the law. Mm-hmm. So it was That's... it was an enforced relaxation day. Yeah, I can say it, it's it's a great way to remove the guilt when someone tells you to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't go out. <laughs> see, some people would just can't. see that as a challenge. <laughs> You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to go out to the shop and crash my car. Yeah, well, we seem to yeah, a lot and, of that nowadays, don't we? And there, and there were throughout the day there there were numerous stories basically that could be summed up as, "Hey, look at this dumbass." <laughs> Florida man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But Rhode Island version. <laughs> yeah, we get we get that in the UK when there's a little bit of snow. We, unless you unless you live far up north, we don't tend to get huge amounts of snow. Mm. So kind of yeah, even a, a half an inch of snow is is enough to bring the entire country to a standstill most places. But you still get the kind of the the people who've decided that their mode of transport is going to be the forty five to hundred thousand pound Range Rover, right? Because it's a Range Rover, can go anywhere. It doesn't matter that it's only got. Some summer tires on because yeah some 99 of range rover owners don't put <laughs> off-road tires or, or winter tires on it uh, or ever learn how to drive, drive. off-road yeah I, th- I think this that's the problem with the uk though isn't it because we have such a diverse set of weather across the country across any day of the year yeah that there's no way to fully prepare for all eventualities whereas you know a climate that's basically uh, sunny in the summer and wintry in the winter it's a bit more predictable and a bit easier to kind of account for two seasons instead of four five six seasons in a day or a week you know so just everything breaks the uk i think yeah uh, and but you know here here in rhode island and i think in a lot of places in america although it might be easier to plan for that weather people still don't yeah true i mean you, you still you still see like some guy on the side of the road in january struggling with like you know the the convertible top of his car it's like why was that down to begin with (laughs) it's it's fucking january were you expecting like 80 degree weather so a lot particularly older convertibles yeah tended to be have the fit the roofs were so thin it didn't matter oh yeah down or not you were freezing yeah, just freezing and rain. damp. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've only I think I've only ever been in a convertible twice. Once was an MX5, and once was 
and that was through uh, 1999 no 2000 2000 mm. 2001 I think and the other time was probably in about 1989 1990 that was an MG midget or MGB GT one of those and that was just it may as well not have been on roof the roof there was so much wind coming through a good friend of ours has got an mx5 and um we had to do some he's a mechanic as well and uh we were doing some work on brakes for my old car and uh we had to go and you know we sort of took took the rear end off the car essentially and then realized we needed parts so had to go out in his and of course me being sort of six one twenty stone gorilla it was uh, they're sort of like looking at me and goes, are you going to be all right if we go in mine? Do you need me to like take the roof off for you to get in or stuff like that? I, was like, I, sh- I should, should be all right. And then um, we got back and another friend of ours basically said, oh, did you film it with him getting in and out? Because that would have been fucking hilarious. <laughs> no, but we probably should have done. <laughs> it was so, literally just kind of roll, roll out onto the ground and kind of like, you know, on all fours, lift myself back up. <laughs> So Dave Dave Bauer in the chat mentioned uh, Subarus, and that's actually what I drive now, which is fantastic for wintry weather. And that was after the so the last car I owned was like a a little a compact, and uh, I I decided to get out of that car when uh, I I tried to take an exit, and the car just kept going in wintry weather. So it's like I I turn the wheel and I'm still going straight. And then I was kind of going straight sideways, and I was like, "Yeah, this isn't. I I think I need some <laughs> to go to drive now." Yeah, no, and it was it was it was fine. Nobody nobody got hurt, no accident, and and I I drove the rest rest of the way home at about uh, eight miles an hour. Um, but yeah, that's that's when I decided time time for another car, and it needs to have all wheel drive. Yeah, definitely. Let's the yeah. um. Because we've we've just had to replace one of ours, and we we basically had two that are mostly two wheel drive. But as soon as they lose traction, four wheel drive would automatically kick in. So they're really handy for that kind of stuff. But then uh, over Christmas, one of them basically failed the standard yearly tests and stuff. So we just had to scrap it and get a replacement car. Okay, and it's it's loads more torque. It's gone gone from petrol to diesel. And it's a it's more than twice the amount of torque, um, but it's entirely front wheel drive. So I'm where I'm used to like just dumping the clutch at a roundabout if there's a you know a big enough gap and and all four wheels will will push me forward. I'm now at the point where I'm I've got lots more torque and lots uh, well half the number of wheels pushing me. So right. a couple of times I've I've dumped the clutch and just kind of stayed and just kind of squirreled a little bit and then and then slowly crawled out. Oh yep. shit! This is not what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and still, still adjusting to driving the new car. <laughs> yeah, I had some fun this week. My my um my car failed its MOT last week. The the, the standard test. Uh, two things. One was the the washer wasn't sticking enough water onto the screen, which I, I kind of knew about, but I kind of didn't think it was bad enough to fail it. But it did fail. It had to have that replaced. The other was uh, 
part of the suspension had gone. Mm. So it needed a replacement. So they, they had to have it for a few days and, and placed it off. Picked it up. Driving home. I didn't notice it. The first mile of the, the garage we use is on a, an industrial estate. And it's it was a busy time of day leaving the industrial estate. There's a huge amount of traffic. It's a feeds out onto a, a bypass of the local town, which gets a huge amount of traffic coming from the motorway, feeding into the, the industrial park, feeding into there's a, a, a border force uh, interior. In, well, what's it called now? I can't remember what they call it now. But essentially, there's a, a, a border facility for, for lorries coming in from Europe. So there's huge numbers of lorries around. So I, I didn't notice for the first kind of two miles because the traffic was just awful. I'm sort of driving along then, kind of got out of that, got on the kind of the, the last bit home. I'm driving along. And the traction control starts flicking on. And I'm getting this I'm getting the electronic traction control light coming up on the the dashboard. And this was happening. It was it was two degrees Celsius, so yeah, it was cold, but it was bone dry, nothing slippy. But I got picking up on the straight, not accelerating hard, all of a sudden, traction control. And I could feel it as well. I'm kind of, yeah, this is happening every kind of eighth of a mile, quarter of a mile. I lost count of how many times it happened on the way home. It was, only, it was like a six mile drive home. And I'm thinking, oh, more. I, I got home, parked the car, and I didn't even get out of the car before I called the garage back and went, I think there's a problem. <laughs> and I kind of explained to him. We'll send somebody to pick the car up tomorrow, which they did, and they had it for a few days then. But essentially, they, when they'd taken the, the the wheel off to fix the suspension, they the wheel had gone out of tracking. So when I was going straight, it was the yeah, sensor for the electronic control was getting mm. tagged, and it was basically thinking, "Ah, there's something wrong." I was like. I've been, I've been driving for a few decades and I think I've had traction control kick in twice <laughs> in that time. Oh, you're not yeah. driving fun enough, Andy. <laughs> well, I, I mean, to be honest, quite a few of the cars I've had didn't have traction control. <laughs> I mean, there is an element of that. I, um, I had my, my human con traction control kick in with a, a similar thing. With uh, I'd had some work. I, I used to have a, a 1988 Mark II Golf. And uh, it was a, a friend of mine who sold me the car, and he was generally working on it whenever we had any uh, any issues. And I'd had, I think I'd had the front suspension replaced, replaced replaced the dampers, or something. But what he'd ended up doing was was disconnecting half the suspension, and uh, put it all back together. And he said, "I'll oh, just just take a quick run out and just see what it, you know, see if everything feels all right." Sort of very, very quickly, you know, kind of like accelerated off. Did a went to drive out of the uh, out of the garage's kind of car park, and then just turned around and drove it back in. I went, no, 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 no. keys, keys, something very, very, very wrong. <laughs> and um, there was where the, uh, the the wheel had kind of bolted into the bottom half of the suspension. The plate should have had three bolts in it, and all three bolts were in, but only one of them was actually going through the corresponding plate attached to the car. Okay. So the, the the one of the wheels was just kind of doing this as I was driving around, just kind of flopping around. <laughs> so can you can you put the other bolts back in place so it's kind of all all connected to where it's meant to be? 
Yeah, I, I have I have occasionally seen cars on the road driving like that where one tire it's it's like I'm waiting for it to and I just I really wish there was some way, some safe way to like signal a person yeah. that you're driving around, hey, I think something's about to go really wrong really fast and really catastrophically. But unfortunately unfortunately there isn't. Uh, <laughs> Have you have you guys ever had the urge to do any like like as part of a maker pro like car restoration like working on cars stuff like that? So I know Steve of Moonshine Metalworks he's got his project car and a few other people out there have them. Is that something that's yeah. ever interested you guys? I would love to. Um, I don't have anywhere like we don't have a, a driveway or a garage or anything, so we wouldn't have anywhere to put a project car. Um, and the, the, like the law in the UK for um, having a vehicle on the road is that it has to have uh, if it's if it's on the road, it has to have um, essentially tax road tax and insurance. Okay. And, yeah, so it has to have all three things. So if it's if it's not road legal, you have to take it off the road essentially. Um, and it used to be that if the if the car wasn't being driven. You could at least let the insurance lapse. Okay. But now, because of um, any time that there's any sort of like crashing into parked cars or things like that, they've now basically said that if if the car is legally on the road, then it needs to be road legal and insured and everything else. So okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's cut down on a lot of older cars on the road because of that kind of stipulation. So uh, I'd need to have I'd need to have a place to do it right there are there are a few project car ideas that i've got yeah similar for me I, as, a, as a as a teenager i really wanted to kind of do the kind of uh volkswagen bug baja type off-road mm. racer i just adored those and my brother-in-law who's seven years older than me he was into uh green laning and land rovers so my my first ever driving lesson was actually with him in a series one Land Rover, which had a series three engine, still had the series one brakes. And uh, that was that was interesting, perhaps the best way of describing that uh, driving experience. Uh, I, I thought I thought my legs were going to break just trying to get the clutch going. Mm. I mean, it, I mean, it, uh, he he once drove through the city that we lived. He lived in, uh, thinking, "Oh, the clutch must be going because there's this burning smell," only to realise that he's forgotten to take the handbrake off. So ah. he's actually driving with the handbrake still on. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, kind of Land Rovers. This I, I do have a soft spot, but for Land Rovers, but, but similar to Jamie, I've, I've never had the space. I've mm. only ever had in one house. I've lived in a garage. And that garage was such you couldn't actually get a car into it because it, it, we lived on a, a it was a hill it was quite a steep hill so one side of the, the the garage obviously was flat so there was this sort of lip it was fine on the, the one side was fine but unless you had something like a Land Rover there was no way you could actually drive a normal car into the garage and it wasn't high enough for a <laughs> anything other than a, a, a normal size car mm. so a four by four like a land rover would never have fitted anyway so that uh, that wasn't a 
that wasn't an option. But if and now with my back, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to work on a car now with my my back. But it, it's something I've always wanted to do. You know, I've always fancied the idea of sort of taking. I I, I don't know whether it kind of made its way to the states or whether it's the same car even there. In, in the 70s and 80s Ford made something called the Capri the Capri was yeah it was a it was a coupe it was a for the 70s and 80s it was this gorgeous car that was brought a style to cars it was very sporty that you could get yeah like three liter engines so that yeah for the that's, time, that's big for UK yeah <laughs> yeah tiny tiny for the states yeah I know but big for the UK and I've, there's a bit of me, I love those cars, and I'd love to almost take some of the older cars and put modern running gear into them. Yeah. A bit like Superfast Matt has done. He's taken a 1924 uh, Jaguar, I don't even know what model it is, but he's, he's stuck a Tesla drivetrain into it. And I love that idea of taking kind of one vehicle and, and putting you know, good quality seats, good quality engine into it, but having that styling of an, of an older vehicle or... Or having a particular type of styling for, the, say, like the off-roading, things like that. But it, it, it's not going to happen for me now. So maybe I'll make small ones. <laughs> so there's a um, there's a gentleman in and and he's in the Fools with Tools group, and he's a Rhode Island blacksmith by the name of Eric Eric Carnvale, and uh, he actually restored a Volkswagen Bug, and and he had never done a car restoration before. And, and he found that the bug was the perfect first car restoration because you can practically flip them over with just yep. two yeah. hands. They're really light. The yeah. engines are ridiculously simple. Mm-hmm. So he was he was kind of and, and so many people do restorations on those that there is so much documentation out there. If you yeah. run into a problem it is it is hard to not find the solution within like two or three searches on google <laughs> so so he did that and it turned out great so i've i've thought about doing that as kind of a because i've never done a restoration before so it would be just ridiculous for me to like pull in a vintage land rover because that would be the rest of my life yeah. doing that so, so I've, I'm thinking, you know, at some point, maybe... it's, it's that addiction thing again, isn't it? Once you yeah. start on it, you're, yeah. you're stuck mm-hmm. in it. You're never going to get out. What I really want to do, and and this, but this, this is this is pie in the sky type stuff, is uh, a restoration on a 1940s um, Dodge Power Wagon. Oh yes, yeah, I am I absolutely. I'm in love. I'm in love with vintage trucks to begin with, uh, but there is just something about the Dodge Power Wagon that I mm. absolutely adore. Unfortunately, if you try to buy a Dodge Power Wagon that is an absolute wreck, I mean, just about falling to the ground wreck, it's still going to be about twenty thousand dollars. They they are so expensive to buy, even. Yeah in nearly disintegrated condition. Yeah, I was talking the other day to a friend of mine about, uh, I've been, say the name Miss, but not the name Miss, but um, a number of years back now, we've been 
2007 era ish uh, a friend of mine had a 1970s ex-us military dodge d100 mm-hmm. yep which again was was gorgeous um and that been imported to the uk and then it had been tweaked it was still you know still running left-hand drive but it'd been retrofitted with abs um it all been stripped down and rebuilt and tuned and tweaked and made quicker and things it was not very pretty old car uh, some drag racer would have it uh, it's all done in uh in matte black on the outside and uh nice. red red leather interior and all red oxides chassis and everything absolutely gorgeous private number plate on it as well since son's toy it's nice. absolutely fantastic yeah um, and at the time they only wanted about six and a half grand for it and then during the recession they were still trying to sell it and it just it, no one wants to buy it to have the, the recession and then fuel crisis and all this other stuff so it was just to have something that was you know in in single digit figures for miles per gallon was because of the 5.7 litre Chevy small block V8 in it, you know, so it was, it was, right. it was not economical for British roads and it was, you know, wider than most British roads. And, um, I sort of lost touch with them for a while. And then when I moved down here, so it was, it was a good few years later, they still hadn't managed to sell it and they dropped the price down to three and a half grand. So I was like, Oh, that would, no, you know, times have changed, times were better, and I then stupidly had a look on eBay at the same time. Um, because I had another, you know, sort of pie in the sky car project, and I, I just wanted to see how much a supercharger would cost for a, a an idea that I'd had. So I was just searching on eBay for supercharger, and down the list of all these superchargers just happened to be it just one came up saying roots blower. For a 5.7 Chevy small block V8, it's oh, oh. <laughs> I could get that and I could get that and then stick the two together and and then yeah, didn't get it and I'm still kicking myself to this day that I didn't do that because it would have been a fantastic project to have and tip yeah. all of my money into. Yeah. I, just, uh, I mean, that's one of the things with sort of doing cars. I think particularly is that they are just everyone that I know that's really into cars is is pretty much. Uh, I mean, ignoring the kind of the multi-millionaire type people, yeah. not that I know them personally. Yeah, the the, the, the kind of you go, oh, I fancy having a you know, whatever car, and I'll get somebody to do it up. I'll do it, but I've got the you know the perfect workshop with room first eight cars side by side and a, a ramp and whatever. But pretty much everyone I know that's yeah, normal person that's into cars. They've got no money, yeah. And cars, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, years they'll be working on cars just because like, oh, I can't find this bit, and it's going to cost a fortune to do this bit. And it's like this, and it just, it's it's just that suck of time, attention, money. Yep. At least, at least it doesn't have quite all the health issues of kind of yeah. You know, hard drugs yeah i mean similarly you know for for life changing and sapping all your money <laughs> health benefits uh, or, or not benefits but the health implications are slightly different <laughs> yeah depends how much oil you eat and... 
<laughs> if you're facing the wrong point in the in the wrong part when you're taking the sub plug out. Yeah, we've all done that. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, that's the other thing I find now when I, uh, you know, even changing like a light bulb on the car, it's like, like it, I just find myself getting sliced, sharp bits of metal everywhere. I just end up cuts all over my hands and arms and legs you bump into stuff getting clumsier and I mean it could be worse because at least the bits of metal that you sort of bashing yourself into aren't hot (laughs) you know we've kind of got that going for us where where John perhaps doesn't (laughs) yeah yeah no I, I I do I do occasionally singe myself um i've i found it i found it difficult to i mean modern cars it's hard to get into them to do stuff yourself they yeah. they really don't want you to um but but yeah i i noticed i noticed yawn pointing out that on my truck restoration i should have a giant anchor for the bumper yes um which i which i find entertaining uh, because you know a, a, a Dodge Power Wagon needs shittier gas mileage, um, <laughs> with several hundred pounds of wrought iron hanging off the back. Uh, but it would be entertaining. You'd have to stick a. Uh, you'd probably have to make it hybrid, and ju- just so you could actually move the thing. Yeah. <laughs> No, and, and and for the for the benefit of of those kind of in the room who don't who don't know the story, um, I I had a buddy of mine who goes to all sorts of scrapyards all the time, and I told him look out for wrought iron. I I want wrought iron. And he he called me up and he said I found an old boat anchor. I'm pretty sure it's wrought iron. And and I said, how big is it? And he said, oh. It's it's about somewhere between four and six feet, and and I was like, all right, that that sounds good. Um, what is you know what's the what's the price on it? And the price was extremely reasonable, I thought, uh, for what he described. And so I was like, yeah, um, buy it and bring it over to the shop. And so he drives over to the shop, and and he's got a big truck. Uh, because he does so much scrap yarding type stuff and he and he pulls up to the shop and i see like literally hanging out the back of his truck like the tailgate is down is this giant like galleon class ship anchor <laughs> that that was that was about six feet across on the crossbars it was actually about nine feet long <laughs> And and it was he was his steering a bit light when he when he drove to you. Uh, I don't know how he got to the shop, but I mean, I I looked at him, and and I looked at the anchor in the back of his car, and and I said, "What the fuck is wrong with you? What how what planet are you on? Where that's four to six feet? That's that's a nine you know that's a nine ten foot ship anchor." And he was like, "Oh, I, when I saw it, it was on a hill." I was like, "What? <laughs> what, what difference does that make? That that doesn't make. I mean, it's still, you know, at some point when they were like craning this into your car, you should have noticed it." And he was like, "Yeah, no, it's it's a little bit bigger than I said." And 
And he said, but the good, he said, I had no problem with the tailgaters on the way over here because the back of it was, was like literally hanging off the back of his truck and the two, and the two kind of arms of it were both like out beyond his truck. Like if he had, if he had passed a little bit too close to mailboxes, he would have committed several federal crimes. And so we we got it unloaded, and it is it is in the shop now. Um, and and I am awaiting word back from several local museums as to whether or not this thing is in any way historic. I don't believe. I mean, it it could be like looking at the construction of it. It could be like we were thinking a whaling ship but the whaling ships often recycled much earlier anchors and this this could be an early 1700s anchor yeah that's really cool yeah it is it is really cool and and of course uh the the i saw he posted a picture of it on instagram and instantly everybody is like well you can't you can't cut it apart it's a piece of history and I was like, uh, but I can't just keep it. It's an 800-pound <laughs> ship anchor. I can't, like, hang it over my door for good luck. It's not a Christmas <laughs> ornament. It's an 800-pound ship anchor. So, so yeah, so there's, there's, there's going to be, we'll see what happens with the, with the ship anchor. That is still a story in progress. Um, but, you know, and I, I said to my buddy, I was like, I really appreciate it, but future wrought iron, less than a ten foot ship anchor. If you <laughs> keep it a little more manageable and something I don't have to like go to several museums to figure out if I can do something with it, that'd be great. So what he's actually brought you he hasn't brought you a ship anchor, he's brought you another career. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is this is this is like the metalwork equivalent of of giving someone a puppy as a gift. <laughs> what you've actually given them is a shitload of responsibility. Mm. <laughs> is, I mean, is there a very I, I know hardly anything about ship anchors. I can, yeah, I can recognise one if I see one as as an anchor. Uh, yeah, wouldn't be able to tell you what type of ship it was on uh, or boat. But uh, do they have? markings on them is, is there kind of any i mean i guess there's this particular I, I know there are different styles of anchor and i guess they can date an anchor most likely by its style and i guess you could possibly date the iron by some sort of mean i don't so, know if kind of dateable so if there was any markings on this anchor they 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 were gone years ago because if you look at if you look at the pictures on my instagram um and that's if anybody is curious john d harvey um if you look at the pictures on the instagram you can see and it's a beautiful piece i mean mm. it is a gorgeous piece because wrought iron when it ages it, it tends to develop this grain and it's got this beautiful wood grain um, it is very pretty. It is. It, it's a gorgeous piece of work. And, but what that means is that, and that is that is basically with wrought iron, that that is kind of the the softer, more um, uh, the softer elements of it being worn worn away over time. Yeah. And um, 
So if it had markings, it doesn't now. But what that grain does tell you is you can see the joints of it and it, it kind of shows you how everything was joined together. So between the way that the arms are constructed and the construction of the eye, from what I've been told, you can you can get a pretty good guess as to kind of what era it was from and potentially what kind of ship it was on sometimes like i said like the mm. the new bedford whalers recycled anchors from older ships so um it certainly at one point was probably on a new bedford whaling ship but where it was before that who knows um but yeah but it is it is i mean it is i I, I complain about it, but it is an extremely interesting. It is it is the most interesting thing in my shop right now that I can't use for anything except taking up space. I mean, there's been several suggestions. I know uh, Steve has suggested turning it into a big swing, which I think yeah, could, be, yeah. could be quite fun. Yeah. But I yeah. think that, that might kind of take a little bit more of your shop space than you might perhaps want. Or yeah. the, the smile on your face when you're on it, I think, would be worth it. But. And, and you know, and I mean, what worries me about that is is like one mistake with the mounting of it to the girders, <laughs> or if the girders aren't quite as secure as I thought they were, that 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 smile is going to become a news story really quickly. <laughs> Jackass, Jackass dies under anchor. I mean, I suppose the other the other thing to consider is that whole pendulum effect is whether or not yes. next door are going to complain that the whole building's shaking. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Resonance. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the benefit is it's 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 probably going to be mostly a steel construction in your in your workshop, I would imagine. Yeah. So you're not worried yeah, about um, concrete too much. What I what I'm what I'm thinking is if if i can get the clearance on this like not being some incredibly historic thing that should be preserved um is i would like to keep the the section that is the uh the arms attached to the to the main part of the anchor all of that intact um and incorporate it into something so the the, the top section where the two smaller straight arms yep yep the arms the arms and and the and the shaft of the anchor where so where the arms attached to the shaft keep at least that intact mm. because that's amazing like just everything that's going on in there and, and even i'm a little reluctant to cut it apart uh but but the rest of the shaft i think i can cut that off and and make uh other interesting things with it yeah, definitely. Have you got any, have you got any particular projects in mind that you might start with? You mean with with just if the you, raw if you iron? get the go ahead? Yeah, if you get the go ahead with the wrought iron. So might, I would, yeah, I've got a few things. Um, I I would love to make like uh, some some fireplace sets. Um, so I think that would be really interesting to do with with yeah. wrought iron. Um, I would also uh, potentially do some, yeah, the other thing I do that people know me for are the tentacle bottle openers hmm. and yeah. other yeah, tentacle things. And so the nautical wrought iron... with a nautical background. Yep. So the wrought iron, 
like it i mean the marketing practically writes itself if if yeah, i'm making definitely. like these tentacle objects be it plant hangers bookshelf brackets whatever um kind of it it is it is very appealing to the boating people to the scuba people mm. Um, I also, I'm right near Providence, Rhode Island, which is uh, ground, you know, it, it is dead center for all things H.P. Lovecraft. So oh, the gosh, whole yeah. Cthulhu uh, mythos thing is like, it's it's right over there. Like mm. 20 minutes is where H.P. Lovecraft lived. And so I could potentially do a lot of interesting things with that. Mm. And just being able to say it is it is from a ship anchor from New England and tie all of that stuff together. Uh, like I said, the marketing kind of writes itself. Definitely, yeah. Cool, yeah. That yeah. good. I think I think it's nice when there's kind of some element of that. There's a guy on Instagram whose handle I can't remember quite now, he, he makes a lot of pens. But he tends to make pens out of interesting bits of wood. So things like, I think he did one recently that was from a section of one of the original TARDISes from Doctor Who. Mm. And he's done things like, yeah, the, the classic whiskey barrel stave type ones. And, yeah, you can, you can get hold of bits of like HMS Victory, although I've, mm. I, there's, from what I can see, there must be so much wood that was once in HMS Victory that they could probably build three or four. Yeah, but yeah. You, you get those kind of you, know, you get those things, and yeah, he 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 supplies his pens with a a, a certificate of providence of of where that material came from. And I think I think particularly for people who have maybe a connection to something. I think something like that it would be just amazing. Yeah, if you, you used to work in the BBC and you, you worked on Doctor Who, right? The seventies or eighties, then having a pen that's from a piece of that would be just so special. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What I what I know I don't want to do, and and I've already had a couple of offers from people to buy it entirely and just put it in a front yard and i just i really you know and that would keep it intact and and i at the very least get my money back uh, but i just i really i feel strongly about like it's a tool oh. and and i can't you know so i'm i'm never going to be able to use it as an anchor unless i buy a, a galleon at some point in the future uh, but that's not really in the books right now so i'm never going to be able to use it as as an actual no i know i'm i'm very disappointed disappointing yeah yeah no i know uh so i'm never going to use it for its intended purpose but i think it should be put to a use yeah i, well, I think the, the way to be put to a use exactly and that, that's what i was going to say is if if you if you were to put yourself in the mindset of the the people who made the anchor originally and say look it's it's 350 years in the future now i've got your anchor that's still surviving do you mind if i turn it into a lot of things for a lot of people yeah 
they would absolutely say, yeah, crack on. You know, you know, you can't use it on one of your modern fancy, like floaty boats. Then, yeah, you know, use it for something else. <laughs> can't imagine they'd be particularly happy about it just being placed in someone's front yard. Yeah, and that's that's where most of them do wind up. They they wind up in the front yard of um, like Cape Cod homes, Narragansett homes, you know, yeah. upper up, you know, mansions basically. Um, Same with anvils over here. They end up yeah, in, I was in just about to say, flash anvils, houses. Yeah, in the garden, painted. And you know that I don't I don't care about that. So long as it is, it is just a chipped apart, sway backed anvil. You know, I mean, technically you can repair those, but there is a, you know, like if it's if it's a Vulcan, and which is already not a great anvil, and it's in horrible condition, yeah, put it put it in your garden. That's absolutely fine. But but I I have seen some really beautiful anvils like in nearly pristine condition like with with a pot of daisies on it and and i just sit there wondering how can i come back here and rescue this anvil (laughs) some people would call that theft jump yeah yeah no no it's a rescue it's liberation it's a it's an intervention So, but I, I, I have not I mean, done that yet. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's certainly the prices of anvils in the UK over the last ten years have just gone through the roof, and a lot of that is the is because of that the the design garden design popularity mm-hmm. of having that kind of feature piece. Really? So over so here in America, we 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 are also paying like ginormous prices for anvils, but it's primarily because like shows like Forged in Fire um, have mm. inspired a lot of people to take up, you know, specifically knife making, but also blacksmithing. And I, I know, so I, I teach blacksmithing, beginning blacksmithing at the steel yard in Providence, Rhode Island. And I would say somewhere between a third and a half of the students who come in cite Forged in Fire as one of the reasons why they're in the class and i'm fine with that you know Mm. it's it's you know generally speaking most of the students who come away from that show appreciate that it's entertainment yeah and they don't expect to make a knife in three hours or four hours especially since they're in a bottle opener class semantics john Come yeah on. yeah so so i i'm on board with forged in fire if for no other reason than it is getting new people in the forge trying blacksmithing of course yeah now, but the downside of that is that anvils over here in america like a decent anvil you you're lucky if you can get Four dollars a pound. It is usually somewhere between five and six dollars uh, mm. per pound, American currency and measurements over here. <laughs> I'm just trying to work out roughly what that would be. 
to how that compares to over here. Um, but I, I, my About brain eight is pound, not eight pound a kilo. Brainy. Yeah, six to eight pounds a kilo. I'm gonna I'm gonna let someone in chat figure that out. I'm yeah, sure I can't remember sure how someone, that. Went. Someone's googling away at it right now. Probably. Um, I think I think over, I think you're right. There overall, these kind of sort of shows are a positive thing because they mm. people will get people go. Oh, I fancy having to go at that. So the the the, the craft doesn't die off with just that sort of. Mm. Few people who've who've known about it me for a long time and learnt it from a, someone or bumped into it. So the the craft can kind of grow, yeah. And that potentially also means that there are going to be manufacturers of bits of equipment who are going to go, ah, there's there's a market for uh, forges, gas yep. forges, coal forges, yep. forge blowers. There's a market for that now. So we'll we'll build something and we can sell it. So equipment becomes available and. That might make it easier for more people to be doing it. Therefore, more mm. people get to know about it. Therefore, more people take it up. And I think, I think, I think that's overall a good thing. Because I think, I, I mean, we, as we've talked about many times before on on, on Waffle, you, there is that has been that tendency of the last thirty years for schools to not teach shop skills, to not expose kids to some of these different skills at a very beginner level obviously but a lot of that's disappeared and that means that there are less people coming through into the teaching careers with those skills unless they've picked right. them up elsewhere yep yeah. which just then it's just a, a downward spiral potentially but when you've got media whether it's youtube or whether it's mainstream television who are kind of going yeah let's let's get let's Get a bunch of people like, like Joe Whitaker this week. Average Joe, join me. Put, 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 I think yesterday put out a um, notice on Instagram, sort of saying, "Look, the, the Great British Woodworker Program, best yep. British woodworker. I can't remember the exact name of it. They they're recruiting for the next season." And best yeah, I can't remember. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. But they kind of there's this element of I mean there are issues yeah they're not professionals and i think some people looked at it and gone yeah there are professionals certainly in the woodworking groups people going well they're not really professionals are they they, they kind of know what they're doing uh with certain things ignoring the fact that a it's an entertainment show b it's clear that they're people that are not professional woodworkers as such mm. yeah they're but it's an entertainment show that's trying to see well we've got this bunch of people who applied right. we've picked some that are going to be good for watching on tv who have some element of skill enough that we can put them in a situation that is actually a little bit ridiculous not enough time to do something that yeah it's going to be a stretch to achieve and we'll see who can cope with that best you know completely unrealistic scenarios in many respects from a craft point of view but it gets people going oh I, I quite fancy having to go at that quite fancy doing this I and mean, we've seen it big time with the cooking programs like great yep. british bake-off yep and masterchef where people are kind of going yeah I, I i can really push the the boat out with cooking and so we're seeing and certainly i mean i've watched masterchef since it started which is a rather long time ago and the stuff that we're seeing now in the kind of the early rounds of masterchef would have won not everyone of course but yeah some of the stuff we've seen in the first rounds 
would have absolutely won in the, in the first few series of MasterChef. Yeah, mm. but it just blown out of the water the things that we've done. But and that's because that's people kind of a common trait, isn't it, with all those kind of these, things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kept. It's 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 people have gone. Oh, you can do fancy cooking at home. I can learn these skills. It's not you don't have to go mm. to cookery school or spend four years in a a French restaurant in the kitchens for fifteen hours a day to learn how to cook. You can get these foods. You can get this equipment. Mm. And the the availability now of, of cooking equipment is fantastic. And I think these programs hopefully will help awareness and availability of of tools and materials to get more yeah, I mean, people into the crafts. You've only got to look at like most people's Amazon wish lists got a sous vide circulator on it and you know, <laughs> things like that. It's it, all these things that were, you know a professional chef witchcraft. Yep. Ten years ago, uh, and now just, you know, in everyone's wish wish list for for Christmas and stuff like that. It's availability yeah. and accessibility of of stuff in general is doing wonders for that kind of thing. You know, everyone's everyone's starting point is higher up. It's been the same with like if you look at the uh, even things like the Olympics and stuff. I'm um, seeing you know there was a, a video during the rounds a couple of years ago with. Uh, Forget the, the the gap between, but there was a, a, a big, a big gap. You know, it was a, it was a black and white uh, video from a long time ago of the the winning um, acrobatics thing versus the modern version. You know, whether it's eighty years ahead or or whatever, um, and it was worlds apart. You know, it, it was just a, a very yeah relatively simple you know flip and landing versus something that looked like it a graphical glitch on a computer game you know <laughs> like flailing yeah. around and everything yeah. and you know it's 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 that sort of progressive jump ahead every time isn't it well i mean i i actually i got involved in blacksmithing off of a sort of a reality tv program I mean, that was, I, so, um, yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've only been blacksmithing for, I think I'm coming up close to seven years now. Uh, I, I only look like I've been blacksmithing my entire life, uh, but it's just been about seven years. And well, you're only up to 26, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's a bit, <laughs> it's been a hard life, man. Um, <laughs> no, so several, several years ago, uh, when my, so when my dad was alive, uh, he had Parkinson's and he was having a, a very rough uh, old age with Parkinson's and he was in assisted living and that was very stressful on me and my sisters and and so I was kind of looking be because I wasn't quite bright enough to do something like go to therapy to deal with like my anxiety and everything but I was looking for an outlet now not connected to that one day i went onto youtube looking for something and i don't even remember what it was but somehow i landed on a a full episode of a bbc program called mastercrafts 
and it was the blacksmithing episode and and for folks who aren't familiar with mastercrafts it's it's an older program um like early early 2000s i think somewhere in there um yeah yeah and but it's but it's basically they take six people or four people who've never done this ancient craft and they give them to a master of that craft and and that person has to like teach them the craft over the course of several weeks so it's 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 a i would say it's a very gentle definition of reality tv because you know it's it's the bbc no one gets voted off the island no one gets by american standards of course it's going to be mild isn't it yeah it was it was very mild but I watched that entire episode fascinated, first of all, by the fact that anybody was blacksmithing at all anymore. <laughs> I, I had no idea that this was still a thing that people did outside of like Sturbridge Village or other like historic reenactment sites. Yeah. And so I watched it and, and I was absolutely fascinated. And I, I thought to myself, I bet that's a thing that would really help with all the like get me out of my head and and get me into something and so the episode finished and i opened up a new tab and i searched for blacksmithing rhode island and it turned out that there was a beginner's class that weekend at the steel yard where i now teach and there was a spot open so history I took the class and I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. Um, and then I, I, I took the rest of the classes, uh, and then every single one. Um, and then I started doing their open studios, which was absolutely fantastic. If you took a course in one of their disciplines that you teach there, uh, ceramics, blacksmithing, jewelry, whatever. Um, you get to use on certain days. You can come in and use that studio for three hours for thirty-five dollars. It's like two or three times a week. So I would go in, like every single open studio, and and I, I basically did what I called at the time uh, quench bucket diving. In that I would I would because they they taught all these classes and the students like you know they made mistakes and they they tossed all their stuff into the quench buckets. So I would basically reach into the quench bucket, come up with this big handful of steel and be like, I'm going to try this twist on that. That's going to be a bottle opener. That's going to be a wall hook. I don't know what that's going to be. I'm going to try to finish off with that student fucked up. Um, and, And I would spend the whole night and it was great because I didn't have to buy metal. I could just awesome. I could just sit there with a hammer and bang away at stuff, um, and it was fantastic. And and like you said, the rest and and now I teach there and I've got my own shop. Really so, yeah, but, but that was but that was off of a TV show. Yeah. And and, and like you say, that's happening with things like Fortune Five, a number of youtube channels particularly that are into sort of knife making and yep. the like i mean it's just mm-hmm. just huge but i'm, cu- I'm curious what were the, what were the the, the classes yeah you know, yeah you know, here's a bot how to make a bot open 
introduction to blacksmithing what were the actual sort of class titles if you can so so there was the intro to blacksmithing which was a weekend class so it was six hours on a saturday and sunday and that was basically going through the various processes of blacksmithing so tapering drifting upsetting all of that type of stuff but not just learning but you actually tried to make things so like a little wrist bracelet or a wall hook and and stuff like that so i i took that class and then you know they had intermediate versions of that class where you made fancier things mm -hmm. um like right now they do a forging for foodies which is you go in and you make different like kitcheny like barbecue type stuff uh there is hammer classes axe classes i've taken a couple of axe classes forge welding classes um right now i'm teaching a bottle opener a forge leaf and i'm also teaching a fire pit poker class nice and the fire then so like the fire pit poker class is also an intro to forge welding okay because you bend back the top you yeah. forge weld it together, and that gives you a, a turkey foot fire pit poker. But it, it is it is a really easy way to learn forge welding without trying to hold two separate pieces of metal together, like close enough. God, yeah, yeah I didn't even think of that, but yeah, yeah, that's a really good way of introducing it. Yep. Yep. And so that way they can just kind of see how forge welding works and and taper their Ooh. their piece out and when when you you bend out the little hook at the bottom you get to see is your forge a real you know is your weld a real weld or is you know does it not have does it not have integrity um Ooh. so and so yeah so it, it's kind of and that's that's kind of how i try to create my classes is i want to teach a skill but how you know how can i just because nobody wants learn tapers <laughs> eh. yeah um so rather than that you know you try to wrap that into something like you know my bottle opener course is primarily about punching and drifting mm. like making the the circle making it bigger you know doing doing all of that stuff I guess you'd call that project-based learning. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, cause I, I think my my first kind of proper... Oh, I decided to wake up. Um, my first proper kind of have a go at blacksmithing was a fire poker. But that was, you know, starting with... 10 mil square section and doing a, a just a straight taper at one end and putting yep. a twist in and yep. doing a um doing a round taper and a uh yep just a, a, a bit of a scroll and a bit of a bend at the other end so it's you know it was relatively simple to do but then i went and sort of found steve and booked him until he let me come and do a day's <laughs> intro yep. down there with my brother um but yeah, I, I, that sort of thing, I think, because when I got myself set up with blacksmithing, um, although I haven't used it now for 
an annoyingly long amount of time, I dragged my dad down and put him through making a fire poker. And it's that, that kind of visceral experience of it. He because he's he's a huge Forge and Fire fan, um, and he's never had the chance to have a go blacksmithing, but he's he's like been itching to do it. Um, so getting him d down and sort of just passing on the stuff that I'd learned, you know, through Steve and by osmosis from from uh, you know our other blacksmithing friends, you included, just that sort of like, here's here's what I know and what you've seen. Right. play you know to just kind of give him that sort of opportunity to spend a day just just trying stuff and it's like oh i've seen them do this so i'll I'll have a go at doing that oh that doesn't quite work how i thought it did you know that, that sort of having that goal that end goal of this is what i'm going to make i think is a really really solid way of teaching that and i, I hadn't I hadn't considered that as a really good way of doing the intro to Forge World and either because that because it's one of those things that I, I've not tried yet, right? And it's the same thing of like trying to get a decent setup to hold two pieces together, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one one of my favorite student stories um, from teaching is I was I was uh, setting up for. A bottle opener course and and most of the students had arrived and there was just one one slot left and i i had the names it was a guy and i'm like oh well this guy might be a no-show i i guess we'll go on without him and and then at that moment this older gentleman walks into the forge and and this was unusual because he was in a a beautiful three-piece suit uh, dressed to the nines, dress shoes, and 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 he said, "So, is is this one two seven Sims? That's the address of the steel yard." And I go, "Yeah." And he said, "So, my wife told me that my birthday present is here, but I don't know <laughs> what that means." Fantastic. And so I so I looked at him and I said, "Well." is your name john smith and he was like yeah i was like well you're i'm teaching you blacksmithing and he looks at me and he's like oh this is the best gift i've ever received this is awesome and i was like that's great but you're a little overdressed for the forge <laughs> you know and and i mean this was like a serious suit this was a beautiful suit and he was like fuck it i don't care and he just he just hung his jacket over there and he forged like that night in like a beautiful dress shirt and dress pants ruined it all absolutely Fantastic. wrecked it all um but but was never happier as he exited the class he was like this is this was great i can i can buy new pants i can buy a new shirt um yeah. but that was just the look on his face when when he realized that that was his gift that was like that that was such a cool moment for me yeah i'll bet that i mean that that's a magic of teaching type thing mm. that that's the sort of thing that keeps people in in teaching as a career where yeah you get, you get a, a student who goes ah oh, i get it now <laughs> or as you say you, they, they make something that they couldn't do before make before and they kind of go i made this and that that is i mean that's 
for anyone that's never done teaching it might be hard to actually appreciate just how kind of warm and fuzzy that makes you feel as a, as a teacher yeah absolutely when that happens because yeah. it's it's blooming awesome when it does happen well what i love with my bottle opener courses is uh, frequently my my previous students will tag me on instagram of them like opening a beer or at a party you know <laughs> like like using the bottle opener that they made Fantastic. That's I, I suppose that's a lot more um it, it's the gift that keeps on giving isn't it yeah. rather than you know necessarily you know something different like oh i just installed this piece of software today you know that's the, the kind of the, the stuff that i tend to teach yeah well <laughs> i mean i I pitch, it, I, I pitch my bottle opener courses you're going to make the world's the world's most popular tool <laughs> <laughs> you know and 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 it is you know and it's it's uh and, and people really enjoy it because they can use it mm. like after the class yeah it's, yeah it's something good to show off then as well exactly but it's practical isn't it it's not just a case of it, it's something that sits on the side gathering dust never getting used it's something you can grab and it, it's it's not going to wear out either is it let's face it a, a, right a, well so that was bottle opener that was why i started making so many bottle openers um was so when i was doing my quench bucket diving for my raw materials to forge i would practice like twists and different things and at the end of it, I would just have like this piece of metal with a twist. And I kind of, I didn't feel like, I didn't want to throw it back in the bucket. I, but I also couldn't afford to keep all of these stupid little pieces of metal that I'd experimented on. So what I started doing uh, was I would, I would practice a twist or, or some other process. And then I would just bang a bottle opener onto the end of it and give it to a friend yeah of course and that way i was able to kind of get it get it out in the world uh as even even if it was a complete fuck up i could just throw you know something that would open a bottle even if you're throwing it at a bottle something that would open a <laughs> bottle um and hand it off to a friend and and even though it was it was a fuck up to them it was like Oh my God! This is amazing because nobody mm. makes things with their hands anymore. Yeah, of course. I still the idea of, of the trying to do the marketing for um, like obtuse bottle openers that will open the bottle by throwing it at the bottle, but you can't yeah. drink the contents. Yeah, 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 Although oh, the completely over-engineered bottle openers, like the one Tyler Bell did, Tyler's yeah, yeah the pneumatic <laughs> ram, it kind of breaks the lid off. Mm -hmm. I'll link I'll link that in the show notes for anyone who's okay. not seen that video because that's yeah. I have I've contemplated, and I think this is this is going to be a thing I do at some point in the future, making this incredibly like over-engineered intricate toilet paper holder like like something that just arcs over the toilet and, oh, and yes. all these, these <laughs> arms and leaves and tentacles 
and just every single thing you can possibly do. And on the side of it, there is just one straight bar with a roll <laughs> of toilet paper on it, just just right next and just mount it right next to the toilet. Because that's make, incredibly make sure. Stupid. I've got to put in here, John. Make sure that it's arranged in such a way that the toilet paper can only go on the correct way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Steve just mentioned in the chat that he he still has his first bottle opener, and and I I also have my first um, forged works, and which are also like like Steve's awful. Mm. And and that's actually, and I think that's great. You know, I also have. There are some bottle openers out there now that I like that I gave to friends of mine, and I'm like, oh, thank God, it doesn't have my maker's mark on it. Um, <laughs> but I think you know, it's like what I what I sometimes tell tell the students in my classes who sometimes they they get across the finish line, but just barely you know with their bottle opener it looks pretty rough and and i'll say so so here's the deal now that you've made this incredibly rustic bottle opener um because it's it's all a design choice but now that you've made this kind of rough bottle opener um you can look back on it you know if you decide to stick with this you can look back on it and and say hey this is this is where i started this is where i am now yeah, it's it's seeing the uh, the progress and the journey, isn't it? Yeah. Steve has asked us to point out that it is all his work that is awful, not just the first thing he did. <laughs> of course, I mean we've we've all seen Steve's work. We all know it's not awful. It is the exact <laughs> opposite of awful. I mean, it it is beautiful blacksmith art. And I know he'll hate me for saying that. I, I, mean, I've, I've, I was fortunate enough to have Steve as my full to his treasure trade maker. Okay. Make yes. For me yes, that's right. And yeah, I've got three beautiful knives now, which yeah, they're gonna they're gonna last a lifetime. And I'm gonna mm -hmm. treasure them. In fact, they'll Use last them. longer than a lifetime. Use them. Now, yes, Steve... they will. They'll, they will get used at some point. I'm, I'm working on. I'm working on tidying the tinkerage <laughs> enough to be able to get out there and do things. The, the whole reason. I mean, I, I've, I've got to. I've got to say that that was a very, very difficult couple of months for me. Sitting across from you here every week and talking about the treasure trade and knowing that not not that I found oh. out from Steve what was going on, but having an inkling that he he was making something for you. <laughs> <laughs> Just about to uh, put my foot in it there with two of the uh, adjudicators. But... <laughs> yes, yeah, the, 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 you, yeah, you do know that John and I were both on the, the administrative team. Yeah, take away Ellen my bacon. I'm vegetarian anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would, I, I would, I would say Steve is Steve is definitely one of my favorite artists. Yeah, agreed. I just, poor Steve hasn't hasn't been able to you know sort of like jump in on the chat for for many many uh, episodes along the way, and we we gave him so much shit when he joined us. Uh, well, both times he joined us so far, 
Um, and it's it's nice to see that we can we can all share in uh, the the love of Steve's artwork. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, John, I mean, you 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 said that you you you've taken up blacksmithing in, in the relatively recent few years, and and yeah, no offense to you, you you clearly weren't a teenager when you when you took up uh, blacksmithing. No, I no, I was not. Say. So I mean, is I mean, you've, you mentioned kind of you know, interesting cars, but were there creative things in your life before blacksmithing? So yes, but absolutely. So nothing that would be normally related to like the maker world. Uh, I actually before blacksmithing, I practically did nothing kind of mechanical makery even you know diy was something pretty pretty alien to me uh but i was uh, a writer of fiction um, so you, you you were doing a different type of smithing weren't you, you were wordsmithing word yeah i was wordsmithing uh but but that is so yeah and i primarily wrote in kind of the the dark fantasy horror field mm -hmm. um that type of stuff and and i still have lots of friends in that field and and i still go to some of the conventions uh my my writing friends still let me play reindeer games with them uh even though i i don't write anymore although i will tell you i i have at some of the conventions i've set up my booth um for metal work and it it sells absolutely it sells being the only guy at, at a book convention selling bottle openers. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Um, but yeah, especially, no, I, especially I, ones with tentacles. Yes, exactly. Mm. And that's that is what I tend to bring to those. And and so yeah, I sell out of those really quickly um, because it is a, a horror dark fantasy crowd. But yeah, that's uh, and that was I mean, so I I tell people that writing and editing really is the the only thing that i think i've got a natural talent for it is the thing that i started doing like literally when i was a child mm. and i still so i don't write fiction anymore uh, I, I really don't have much of an interest in writing fiction anymore but i still edit and there are some local local writers who give me their novels and i beta read and do a developmental edit for them that's cool yeah so i still have a, a foot in it but but i don't i don't write anymore uh right now i don't have any interest in writing again at least not fiction yeah i can i suppose the 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 market has shifted quite significantly over the last few years isn't it from uh, there's a lot of self-published stuff and a lot of stuff uh, in general for fiction writing that's that's shifted the the process i suppose well so if you know because as i said i still have friends in that world and if i i was to go back to it i i don't think i would go the traditional agent agent goes to publishers 
publishers take three years to publish your book. Um, yeah. I I would probably go uh, so so the the kind way of referring to it is is not self publishing. It's being an indie author. <laughs> yes, fair point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it is. It is being an indie author, and and I probably would uh, if if I started writing again, it would be that. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's uh, probably most sensible, I would imagine these days. Well, so it is. You know, it is. It's still a lot of work hmm. because if you're going to be an indie author then you have to find someone to do editing for you and be smart enough to take their advice. Uh, you also have to get your books formatted. You've got to arrange for the cover art. So the, the, the bad thing, well, it depends on how things go, but the difference with indie author uh, publishing is you can't blame your agent. You can't blame your publisher you can't blame your cover artist if the book doesn't sell because you are largely in control of all those things yeah of course yeah but then you get more of the you get more of the uh the money if you do well absolutely yes you do True. Mm -hmm. i've heard that i've my eldest is at some point i'm She's already written, I think, at least three novel-length books. Okay. And hundreds of short stories. And at some point, will get published. But I, I don't know what her current sort of uh, viewpoint is, but certainly a few years ago when we were kind of sort of discussing it, and we were, we were actually approaching agents to possibly get one of the stories uh, published. She was not keen on sort of. I was kind of, sort of trying to push self-publishing, but she wasn't keen on that because she very much felt that there was kind of a higher status for being published by a, a publisher. Mm. And I, I spent a lot of time at the time, sort of listening and reading about publishing and sort of looking at the various approaches and ways to do it. And there was there were so many kind of people saying. Publishers are only publishing people they know are going to get huge numbers straight away. People already have books published. They they want that kind of almost guarantee of money. They're, they're less prepared to take risks on new people anymore. So it's much harder to actually get into a publisher's uh, and through an agent. So what and is... They're, they're taking... They're, yeah, they're taking yeah, 70 pence on a pound. Right. From, yep. from the book. Yep. So what is what is happening a lot now is the indie authors that are are doing the work and succeeding at it, you know, they get to a point and then the the traditional publishers are approaching them to do mm. deals like like there's some aspects like that are a little more difficult for an indie author, like translations. And yeah. so the yeah, the traditional publishers are going to the successful um, indie author of a crime series and saying it would be a lot easier for us to publish your book in Germany 
than for you to try to find and work with a German translator. Yeah. I didn't even consider that as a as a thing, but yeah, of course that makes that makes so much more sense. Well, it's it's kind of the same dynamic when you occasionally see like a, a Kickstarter that does exceptionally well, and it does so well that like uh, you know for like a, a like a short animation series, someone will do a Kickstarter for an animation series, and it gets the funding goes off the charts, and next thing you know they're on Netflix. Yeah. Because Netflix sees that level of interest and says, you know, we, we this think is this money is we the right... can't miss yeah. out on. Yep. Yeah. I suppose in a way that that's, that's kind of the parallel with YouTubers being picked up for TV as well, isn't it? Yep. Yes, it is. Yep. Absolutely. So no, I, I definitely think whether you are, you are any kind of creative, be it in the making world, in the art world, uh, publishing, um, all, all of the larger, more traditional platforms want to see you prove yourself, and they're not terribly interested in uh, risking anything on anyone. Mm-hmm. And and when they do, and this this is you know something to maybe bring up with your sister is like if you do get that traditional publishing deal, they are still going to expect you to do all of the marketing and all of the yeah. footwork. It's like they are. It's the like the days of of being like getting your first novel deal, and there's an ad in the New York Times, or they pay for a book tour that. That's not happening anymore. So they will they will put it in the catalog and on their website, and that's it. Mm. And then pull and then pull in so much of the money. It, it, it yeah. it's frustrating. And I, this is why the kind of I guess the independent publishing, self publishing. Has grown so much. Not only is there that capability, you know, whether it's as simple as you know, uh, the Amazon you know, print-on-demand style, or, or whether it's the kind of more slightly more sophisticated, you know, getting it printed, you know, by a proper printer. With, yep. you know, depending on the style of, of the book, with the different types of lithography, if you're doing photos and and. I suppose it, it, it's it's similar to how the music industry has kind of worked as well, hasn't it? For for that kind of thing, you know, you, you start off trying to get into the big record label, and then you start publishing your own EP, and I suppose now publishing it on your own website and pushing your own music to Spotify and all that kind of stuff, and then getting hoovered up by a, a mid-sized, yeah. you know, f- former musician who's made it big branched off from their original record producers and become their own and it's, it's that kind of cyclical kind of you know starting but it's it's fake it till you make it isn't it almost yeah. you know you, you push yourself out there enough till till you you've established that name that you get that kind of critical mass no but i would so one of the advantages though is i actually i prefer uh, the the maker community really over the author community 
And I think part of that is because uh, the maker community, nobody actually expects to make money. <laughs> Different mentality going into it. You do yeah, it where, form, whereas you? In, in the author community, everybody is shooting to be the next Stephen King. And, and after, after a few years, they get very angry because they're not the next Stephen King. Um, whereas, like, in the maker community, it's, you know, it's generally just a guy trying to, like, put shelves on a wall. And if the shelves hold shit up, that's a success, you know. <laughs> yeah, but do you not think there is actually kind of that? I, I, there is an element of people who want to to be successful YouTubers, for example. Yes. Maybe rather than makers. So I think yeah, there are. I mean, there's there's always been and always will be. There's people who just make a home and, and don't kind of. They're not part of the maker community because they just don't do social media or they, right. social media they do is associated with some other thing they're interested in. But there are, I mean, I've, I've seen over the, the last few years, sort of some people, I mean, there's, there's people like myself who will put, you'll put videos out for a while and then kind of, you know, I mean, like this, the, the human malware we've had for the last couple of years put quite a few people into the situation of, I, I've got other things that I need to focus on rather than than doing that. It, it's, for some people, it's become an opportunity to put more things out maybe they're working from home and they don't have to spend three hours of their day commuting so they can spend time developing some skills in an area on something 3d printing or it's blacksmithing but there's i've seen people even before the pandemic i've seen kind of sort of people kind of kind of come in and kind of go obviously kind of thinking i'm going to make videos and sometimes you see people that are you know, producing fantastic videos. You know, they're producing things that are, they're taking time to think about their videography. They're not necessarily using high-end kit. Yeah, you know, it could just be a, a phone or a, a, just a, yep. a, a reasonably available camera. But they're taking time to develop videography skills. They're trying different things. They're not just leaving the camera in one place. There, I mean, a, a person that jumps to my mind straight away thinking about that is future guest Morley Kurt. Mm -hmm. he's, yep. he's really developed over the last couple of years. He's producing fantastic videos. He's making fantastic things. He's very creative. He's he's doing in depth. Nice guy as well, and he's really sort of developing. But. I, and I think he will, over time, get just he will just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I think at some point, yeah, he's gonna just catch in the right place, and he will his his subscriber base will grow, his view count will grow, and I think he will do very very well. He's he's got the right approach, I think. But you sometimes see you see people are kind of appearing, and and particularly a few years ago, they were they were kind of a, a, on Facebook. There were things like the the small. Oh, I can't remember the exact name for it now. The small workshop YouTube group or something like that. It was it was a small make make. It was basically if you got something like a less than 150 square feet of space, right. small shops, and you're on YouTube, you could join this group. And yeah, it, it was, yeah, you could do that. If you, yeah, if you were, <laughs> yeah. So 
British single garage size as opposed to the kind of American single garage size where you can kind of you know, park your RV alongside your, you know, your American back of a pickup bed kind of size. Yeah. <laughs> And there were people that appeared in there, and some people have, have joined, and they, they grew, and they've grown and grown and grown, and they're still producing videos on a regular basis. There were other people who kind of sort of joined, and there are some people who've kind of, you know, they've, they've disappeared off the wayside, and there, there could be good reason for that. It's not the fact that they kind of got bored with YouTube. Yeah, it could be just life changes. Right. But there were there were occasionally people that would appear, and they they would appear quite keen to start with, and they would they would promote their videos, but they never wanted to listen to any advice. And it was the kind of sort of that was particularly kind of a a, a group where people would often kind of go, oh, where do you do this? And how do you do that? And how how can I do this? And can you have a look at my video and tell me if I can do something better? And there was that kind of. For a significant portion of people, there was there was a really good kind of, this is a safe place to kind of get some criticism and use that to grow and make your videos better. Right. But there were more often than not, not more than not, there, there were occasionally people who would come in and kind of almost, they wouldn't necessarily say it, but you could almost sense that they, they kind of wanted to, to grow really quickly, but they didn't want to in the, the mileage they didn't want to put the work in they didn't want to yeah. try and change things they wouldn't listen to advice from people that were that next step ahead of them and I, so I, I think there are I think there is that element of people that are, and I, I, I don't it, it may not be the same as the, the, the author community because I don't I'm not involved in that community yeah, I know. I know one potential author and, and a few people like yourself who have published. But I think there's that. I think there is that element of people think, ah, oh, I can be a maker. I can go on YouTube and I can become the next arrester. Right, or Colin Furs, or yeah. whatever. Um, and 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 I have found, for whatever reason, very often those people are wood turners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't hold back john say it like it is and, and i know i know i know several wood turners and i love them to death but you know as as you guys know and, and some people in the chat know like i'm the administrator for the fools with tools group and whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang, on, hang on a minute john is, is this an hour and 42 minutes in where we're just about to do an introduction Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Seems about good timing. Go on, sorry, right. Yeah, I'm John. Yeah, I'm John. Tell, tell us who you uh, are, John. <laughs> yeah, so I'm 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 the admin moderator at the Fools with Tools group, and and occasionally I have had to yes, yep, right there. <laughs> me me pointing at the screen as if you know people can see me pointing at the sign on your wall. I do that more often. Yeah, perfect uh, for the audio podcast. <laughs> and, and every and every so often I and it really is so the Fools with Tools group is fantastic because I need to do so little work. But every so often I kinda need to ask someone, hey, take it down a notch. And we do this <laughs> Saturday post where you can you can you can promote as much as you want. And uh it's it's pretty often that's it's been a wood turner. Not always, but pretty often it's been a wood turner. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely there there is a small population of people out there 
who want to get to that Duresta level without yeah. doing the Duresta level of work. Yeah. Because, you know, we we all have a common friend in in Brett who used to work in Jimmy Duresta's shop and, and assisted him. And one of the things that, that Brett will tell you, you know, first and foremost about Jimmy is that for a guy his age, which is to say my age, his energy levels are off the chart. <laughs> he is a machine. Yeah, he's he he is he is a titan of a worker, and mm -hmm. and he's he's gotten to where he is because a he works really really hard, and b he he plays well with others. He's able to integrate into the community well and talk to people and be sociable and, and without being obnoxious. Yeah, I mean, it, even from those of us who were at Maker Central, obviously we were, yep. um, to have, have kind of turned up in the, in the morning and seen Jimmy stood there with a massive queue of people waiting to speak to him. Yep. And then going yep. off, having a walk around the entire event, going and see other things, chat to friends, come back and see Jimmy still stood in exactly the same position with a completely different set of a hundred fans waiting to speak to him. And then coming back several hours later and he's, he's maybe been able to nip to the toilet and back. Um, but then someone's come and brought him food and drink and a chair yeah. and, and then still be there full, you know, full energy, still massive smile on his face, interacting with everyone, having a, a, a personal conversation with everyone. Yeah. I couldn't do that, and I'm 20 years younger than him. You know, it's the guy's an absolute machine. I mean, yeah, you know, deserves every every accolade he gets. He is, but there are there are there are people out there. Unfortunately, I think this exists in in every community where they just they want the shortcuts. Yeah, absolutely. And and those those do not exist. Absolutely, I think that's the thing is. For someone like, um, I mean, you know, the, the kind of the, the the big hitters that people tend to try and emulate. You know, you 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 Jimmy, you Bob, you Dave, you yep. Pat Lap, you Paul Jackman's, you those guys who have. I'm not going to say gimmick, but they have a thing that they are sort of known for, and it's easy to pick that sort of caricature of them and try to emulate as a you know a, a kind of a, a run in to jump on the shirt tail sort of thing because they make it look so easy to people starting out i think they get that kind of false sense of oh well i've just got to copy what they do and then i'll i'll be there but they're not they're not seeing the, the 60 hour weeks or constant you know replying to messages at two o'clock in the morning because they've been waiting on something or something's just come in or reading through hundreds or thousands of shitty comments or you know all these sort of things that are the real slog to it i suppose right well so i just saw a, a comment in the chat from Faye basically saying there should be success without that insane level of work and and i i I tend to agree and I think that personally I think that's possible it, it just kind of depends on what 
success means to you. So mm -hmm. if you want mm -hmm. 2 million followers on YouTube and, and a TV deal, then you need to be Jimmy Duresta. But at the same time, you might be very happy and consider yourself successful if you have, you know, 50,000 followers on mm -hmm. YouTube and you've got some sponsorships coming in. And yeah, maybe you still have a part-time job or maybe you have a partner um, who is working and, and maybe that, you know, maybe that's where you want to stop because beyond that point, it stops being fun. And I think that's something, I think that's one of the reasons why we see people kind of hit hard and strong and then all of a sudden they just drop off the map is mm -hmm. is they start putting in those insane levels of work and then discover you know what this sucks this is yeah. this level of work is for someone with a personality that is not mine yeah. well i think a perfect example of that is um april wilkerson okay who was absolutely standing on her own two feet climbing that ladder and doing amazing and then realizing that there were huge chunks of the work there that just became you know you sort of reach a point where you you can't do all of it on your own it's just, they just right. aren't physically enough hours in the day um and it, it, it reached a point where you know because she, she's a, a phenomenal content creator phenomenal um business person now you know she, she started this empire up uh and the kind of the, the journey that she had a few years ago as she was you know sort of increasing in popularity and there the were bigger demands on everything um her other half actually gave up his job to then kind of take that pressure off and kind of do the do the the stuff that was detracting from her talent in in the content creation and, and builds and designs and all the rest of the stuff you know and, and that kind of um that kind of allowed her to, to continue with her, you know, kind of growing success. Yeah, no, I, and I think another factor is if, if you want to keep growing is knowing, and, and this is something I'm very bad at, is knowing when to ask for help or knowing when you need to start hiring people, get support, mm -hmm. you know, there, there is, a, you know, there is a limited bandwidth that a single human can achieve in terms of work, uh, and, mm. and kind of recognizing, well, if I, if I'm going to grow beyond this point, then I need, I need to depend on other people. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think, I think that's almost a, this is a lost skill. I think it's something again, coming from sort of the teaching background, there's, there's a, and this, this is something that's kind of talked about and, and often not talked about correctly about how you know oh, everyone gets kind of participation medals and yet there have been a few examples of schools that have done that it, it, both sides of the pond and, and probably other parts of the world as well but there is this there's this push all the time in schools that comes from the sort of school system as much as anything not necessarily from individual yeah. teachers but it can come from individual teachers too but it's part of the school system about kind of 
pushing for success. It's all about success. It's all about growth. It's all about getting better. But in that push for this success, it's all about getting the best possible grades. And there's this feeling of failure that you don't necessarily get. And I don't think as a system we push not push isn't the right word we we, we allow kids to fail mm-hmm. and i think we don't we don't allow adults to fail and we've got this now with particularly social media we're right. constantly seeing yeah the, the best that people put out we've got so many best on instagram yeah. Yep. There's all these beautifully created feats, and you know, whether, whether you're looking at blacksmithing, whether you're looking at photography, whether you're looking at you know, fashion, beauty, or, or whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. The majority of feeds from anyone that's kind of trying to grow, I'm not talking about the kind of person, I've got a few friends that, you know, according to the, the you know, Instagram metrics they're my least interacted people with they don't post they might post once or twice a year and i keep them on Instagram. i could kick them off and reduce the number of follows that i that i have which right. would make the kind of bounce look better yeah i've got more followers than follows but i don't do that because i want to see that time that when they they go skiing yep. or that mm-hmm. time when they they put up their yeah, they've got a private feed, but they they put up their new, their new baby, for example. I want you to want see that they're real humans. I would because they're my friends. But yeah. in terms of their feed, if you kind of put the kind of classic you know, how to succeed on Instagram, yeah, you know, they, they they don't take any of the boxes. Yeah, nothing's curated. The colours are all different. There's no there's no pattern to it. There's you know these photographs are not necessarily you know well edited. You know they're just snapshots. But that's because they're a real person just wanting to share their really fancy lunch. It's not a super rude photograph. It's just a photograph of their really fancy lunch that they luckily having because somebody bought it for their birthday to go right. to a nice restaurant. And I want to see that because I want to know that my friend's having a nice time for their birthday. But you know, ignoring those kind of those users, which I know probably does make I don't know the figures, but probably does make up a, a good portion of social media but it's it's not the portion that people kind of go oh look you know jennifer aniston she got a million followers overnight when she started her instagram account oh look we've got these you know the kardashians or whatever yeah yeah and they get oh look they've got this oh i've got i've got to get that outfit i've got to do this or the 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 perfectly curated um feeds of essentially businesses yeah i I mean I, i for example, you know, the forge, you know, the photographs that are being put up for Alex Paul's ironworks, the, the forge, they're amazing, they're beautiful. Yep. But they are a business and they are selling a product. Yep. And so there is that expectation of you want the good things. But people are trying to emulate that, to become the you know, content creators, to become influencers, whether they've thought about that as kind of a, a, a I am going to be an influencer you know there are some people who kind of have that kind of thought you know i'm going to be a i I like making i'm going to be the next jimmy Duresta. but they're seeing these kind of perfect feats and they're trying to kind of emulate that and we're not seeing 
we do actually we do see from some people we see people kind of going oh look I, this 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 went bang this this snapped this is yeah and sometimes that's seen as a just a yeah think go badly wrong uh, quite often in maybe in instagram or stories i love those those things though where you where you've yeah. got that kind of that that moment of learning you know that look I, I tried this thing and it went wrong but it went wrong because of this this is how and why it failed yeah i don't i i you know i mean that, that's a that's a a very laura thing to have done as well you know i think she was one of the first people i'd seen on youtube sort of actively doing that and of course simone has been doing that for years as well with yeah you know the, the shitty robots um there's those fantastic ways of of going don't do it this way because when you do it this way this happens which i think is so much more useful to people like us people who are on a similar trajectory to be able to go ah so that's how that fails so i don't need to go and pursue that avenue of thought in in my idea that's similar you know i think that sort of on you know uh accidental teachers i think in that sense so yeah one of Jump one up. of the things one of the things that i've been doing with my classes recently that has made a big difference and and this is because i think a lot of my students have kind of come into class with that I need an Instagram post at the end of this mm. type of mentality yeah. and which, which makes teaching them hard because they tend to be really hard on themselves when doing this thing they have never done before. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I kind of open up my class now by saying, so this class is not about you accomplishing anything. You might accomplish nothing tonight, but you're going to experience a lot. So you're, this is for the experience of blacksmithing. And, and if, if you screw stuff up, guess what? That's blacksmithing. And there's actual some parts of this where if you screw stuff up, that's a good night for me because I can show you how to fix it. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. So just kind of front loading for them, you know, if, if you hose up like the tab on your bottle opener, that's not a failure. That's, that's just part of the experience. And if I have to finish a step for you so that we can move on to the next step, that is, that is also not a failure. That's just you learning how hard this is. And, and I found now that I kind of front load the class with that um, lack of expectation, like really dialing back, you, you may not have an Instagram post at the end of this unless you're willing to post something that looks really fucked up, <laughs> which is fun. See, that, that was something that um, I, I really enjoyed when I did the, the day session with Steve is that was a... I don't know whether it was a, sort of an intentional strategy that way or whether it was just the fact that we got so caught up in uh in conversation and things because it was you know we've been chatting online for ages but that was the first time we'd actually been in each other's presence properly right um but the way steve allowed me to fail you know that that um 
you know, give me enough guidance to to get going and have an idea of where it was supposed to be, but not so much that I was overwhelmed with too much to think about or too much going on. It was right, hold this this way, hit this like this, and then he's then watching what's going on, and he'd go, "Let's just tweak this slightly," or "Yeah, you see this how how this has just gone off this way." try doing this this way. And I cocked up a couple of times and he'd have to correct things for me. But then that allowed me to watch him correct it and see what was actually going on rather than him trying to direct, oh no, just just hit the hammer here instead. It was easier for, for him to course correct, yep. help me see what he was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and even, even things like, you know, it, it was... You know, because we were doing things like, because it was uh, solid fuel, so it was heat management and stuff as well. So it wasn't a case of like stand by your fire and keep an eye on this. And right, this. it was, it was like dickhead, you, you're melting your steel there. And it was, it was, yep. it was that kind of like, uh, it didn't baby me through it. You know, he sort of said, "You know, you're a fully fledged human being existing in the world. Crack on, and we'll yeah. deal with what happens." You know, and I, that was a really useful way of teaching me. Yeah, I I have occasionally approached a student who is really struggling with something, and and I'll say, "So, so you know what your problem is?" And they'll say, "What?" And I'll say, "You suck. <laughs> you're supposed to. You're a beginner." You've yeah. never like hit hot metal with that. You you're you suck at this, but you're supposed to. And mm. and nine times out of ten, they laugh. That tenth time, a little awkward. But nine times out of ten, <laughs> they laugh because they realize how ridiculous they are being mm-hmm. when they are expecting to do this this craft that they've never done before, they've never tried before. And yeah, they suck. That's why you're in a class. Yeah, you're learning. Yeah, you're not yeah. My, up. my first, my first blacksmithing class, I sucked, and I burned myself. <laughs> but I think I think we we have this tendency to forget when we're learning something yeah. that we're likely to actually suck at it to start yeah. with and we're not necessarily going to make the speed of progress that we think we should and we've potentially you know like you're thinking about blacksmithing people have watched fortune fire they see people think well it can't be that hard to do that surely yeah it's just mm. it's just heating a bit of metal yeah. up and bashing it with a hammer i mean it's like anyone could do that so it can't be that hard to do and then actually discover that it is actually harder than you think yeah because there's all that nuance of how you're holding the hammer yeah are you driving the hammer down are you letting the hammer do its work how mm. hot is the metal is it hot enough is it too hot there's all these little nuances that you can't instantly learn in order to achieve something and we have we have because we've been watching we've been watching YouTube we, we kind of think we have this knowledge that 
should allow us to to be good at it straight away and um, we kind of then go it's, it's the hourglass taste gap you know you kind of go I, I know what i want to be able to do but i'm not doing it right mm-hmm. and I, I don't like that and I've, I've been working at this for a little while now and I, I i don't feel that i'm making the progress towards it well i think as well we because like in our daily lives that you know if you're if you're a a person who's used to doing the same thing day in day out whether that's a job or something at home or whatever you are doing regularly as an activity you're generally so well practiced in doing it that if there's any kind of new learning to be done it's usually just oh try doing this and then you do it and it's fine you know there's no i mean let's face it most of us spent a couple of years learning to not shit ourselves and to string a sentence together so you know to not pick something up in its entirety in a day we need to kind of remember that (laughs) yeah 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 well i mean i i mean and and again i'll i'll stress that i've only been doing this for slightly over a half dozen years but Hmm. even even within the realm of things that i consider myself to be pretty good at i still have really bad days like for whatever i'll go into the shop and and i will just fuck everything up i mean every single thing i touch just turns to ash and i have had i have had nights where i have i have reached a point where it's like well it's it's too soon for me to go home but obviously i can't do this so i'm just gonna do i'm gonna forge tapers so all I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna sit here. I'm gonna forge some really long. I don't not even have a purpose for, for what I'm gonna do with them. I'm just gonna forge tapers and and kind of do that. Um, Practicing because, muscle memory skills. Yeah, be, yeah. Because there there are nights. I mean, even after you've been doing something for, and and I'm sure there are blacksmiths and woodworkers and wood turners and and people in textiles. Uh, who've been at it for decades and and they have the same experience some days you go into the shop and you just suck mm-hmm. everyone has an off day yeah and but how many people on social media show that there's I a few there's a few there but, but not, I mean, not a great example yeah today i mean to the video she put up today yeah making a, a, a an old Essentially, an automatic oiler, foot-operated oiler for mm. her pillar drill, and the thing drips. Here's a, I'll, I'll probably come back to this because it's it's not right, mm. and so she's developed that kind of willingness to show her mistakes and to show her not mistakes isn't the right word necessarily. She, I mean, she, she does show her mistakes, but more her her progress. Right, yeah, and the kind of yeah progress often doesn't. It's it's not a straight line. It it's it's not linear. We we mm-hmm. don't learn just by continuous improvement. We we try something and we get we get well, and the, but then we'll for some reason maybe try something in a slightly different way, not necessarily consciously, and then it doesn't work, and so you kind of maybe have to step back and kind of go, what did I do differently this time? Okay, and now I'm going to do this, and oh, oh, I'm going to I'm going to use this piece of electronics to try and do this project. And, right. 
I think it should do this, but actually, you know, not having a degree in electronic engineering, you don't appreciate that maybe this particular thing doesn't work as well as it should. Right. And then if you're throwing in a bit of mechanical engineering and some fluid dynamics, it kind of you know, makes things a bit tricky sometimes. Yeah. And we don't, we don't always show these things. Um, I'm, I'm sure most of us have you know, high proportions of failure. And, well, especially yeah. given that most of us makers are trying stuff that's, you know, new, trying stuff for the first time, or, you know, how many of us have, have started a project with the exclusive, you know, desire to learn something completely new, or a new technology, right. or a new skill, or, you know, you, you're bound to make failures along the way because that's, that's part of the learning process, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And. Like you say, it's, I think it's good to keep your, uh, as has been mentioned a couple of times, it's good to keep those first pieces mm. to see kind of you know, where you've come from and how you've made things. And, and you know, that idea of you know, making you know, hundreds of nails in order to kind of you know, get that A, muscle memory, develop those muscles to actually do something like that. Cause, Mm. Yeah, not many people are going to be able to pick up a hammer and, and you yeah, know, wrap out a hundred nails in in one go. Yeah, it, it, pretty sure my shoulder would fall off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, I mean, if you're not used to it, it's. I can I, can, I can still I can still remember a time at university where one of the guys uh, in my department, kind of, who was into bodybuilding, came along to the climbing wall one evening to have a go, and the guy was super strong. But yeah, he could move weights that yeah I could I wouldn't even think about, or mm. shouldn't have thought about, and but he couldn't hold himself on a, he was okay just about okay on the stuff that was vertical, but the stuff that was overhanging, he he, he couldn't hold himself. Yeah, I remember putting some for work. Um, our colleague who's gym guy, you know, a very strong guy, and we were putting some like some Ikea furniture for the office together, you know, a couple of like little tables and some chairs and stuff. And it was, it was things like, uh, just putting the covers over it, like screw covers and things, uh, you know, little push in bits of plastic that you've got to press down with your thumb. <laughs> and, you know, this is a guy who's at the gym five, six days a week. And he was really struggling to get these things done. It's like, Guess you're not training thumbs, you know. But it was that kind of like, right. how are you doing? How are you doing that so easily? I was like, well, I've, I've just made lots of these. I've, you know, my thumbs used to just squashing against a bit of plastic. You know, it's not Thumb about walls. strength. It's yeah, it's not. It's not about strength. It's about what you're training. You know, right? It's, it's that practiced skill. Not that pushing little plastic, you know, screw covers in is a particularly useful skill to train, but. <laughs> well, unless you put together lots of like IKEA furniture, which, you know. well, true. I have I have had students at the end of a class like struggling to fill out their forms <laughs> because they they've been and and I try to teach the students do not do not like hold on to the hammer like you're hanging off of a cliff uh, <laughs> or you will you will regret it by the end of the night and and some of them don't believe me. And and I can I can just 
see them at the end of the night and they've got the pen in their hand and they're just <laughs> <laughs> it's like do, do, you, do you need me to fill out your paperwork yeah i do um well, you gonna drive home <laughs> yeah good luck driving home hope you don't have a stick <laughs> Just noticed, John, that, that that pen that you were using then, I think, is uh, one that I also adore. It's a Pentel Graft yeah. Gear. Yeah, I have the uh, two thicknesses of uh, ballpoint pen and the pencil as well. So I, I have several of those uh, kind of next to me because I, I've taken uh, inspiration from Andy um in in that i've started sketching yeah so i'm i'm doing kind of a, a daily sketching habit um where i kind of open the day or you know at the end of my day if i'm like i've got something on youtube going and i'm sketching a little bit and it's something i did a lot when i was a kid and i got relatively good at it uh i've i've discovered though that it is nothing like riding a bicycle it all goes away <laughs> it all goes away you you do not remember anything um so yeah i absolutely i i will also mention uh in our our chat here we've got dave bauer um who has also started a a new instagram account for his he daily has. sketching habit um so I'm I'm doing I'm doing a little bit of a premature spiff, which sounds a little indecent to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> Happens the best with John. Especially yeah, your age. yeah, no, it's, it, it it is what it is. Um, yeah, Dave, I think it's uh, he's, he's started up a new Instagram account. Yep. I think if off the top of my head, it's something like Dave's sketchbook. It is. It it is something like that. Um, what whatever it is, it it should go into your show, show notes. Um, it said, "Yep, every, okay. everyone that gets mentioned, Poffer, maybe like excellent Kardashians excellent. earlier. Everyone yeah, that kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm not taking them. <laughs> but but yeah, I do have fail. several several sketching pencils next to on my desk, so that w whenever the mood takes me, I can just kind of dive in and and start uh, twiddling away at things. Are you sketching anything in particular, or are you kind of sketching ideas for so future I'm... builds?" Yeah, yes, yes, and no. So I am, I am leaning more towards like organic type stuff, like plants and nature, and and of course some tentacles and and stuff like that. Um, I'm also just doing exercises, like I'm drawing cubes and 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 globes, and just practicing um, shading That's and perspective. Fantastic and and stuff like that i would eventually like to start drawing um or sketching like pieces of work because one of one of the uh, skills i don't have is when someone comes to me and they want something custom and i describe you know this is this is what i'd like to do and they're like yeah i kind of i kind of get what you're saying but can you can you draw it out and i'm like no no, I can't. I will You're... make it in metal, and you yeah. can see it then. <laughs> I can make it and then show it to you, and and that's that that is about as close as I can get. So it, it would be nice to be able to sketch things out in a way that is semi-coherent, um, because my current drawing skills are not even semi-coherent. 
but I'm enjoying it a great deal. And that is the most important thing. I, I think that is sometimes forgotten. Again, kind yeah. of almost falling back on that kind of failure discussion earlier, and you know, a failure of success. I think you know, we I think we sometimes think that we have to be good at something to it, mm. to, to to do it and to enjoy it. I mean, there's been times. I mean, I'm I'm over five hundred days now of, of drawing every single day. Yeah, and there have certainly been times when I've been extremely dissatisfied with the thing I've produced for that day. Now, some, sometimes this, yeah, there's sometimes, yeah, I, I, I kind of make mistakes or the, the, the line isn't quite straight enough. And sometimes it's just like, ah, just, no, I just don't feel it today. I've produced something, but I just didn't feel it today. Yep. And other days, this stuff, you know, I kind of, I'm, like, the one I've, I've done today, I kind of, I look at it and I go, I like it. I can see that there's elements of it I'm not quite happy with. The proportions aren't quite right. It, it, it's quite, it was quite a yep. symmetrical one today. And the proportions, it should have been you know, symmetrical in a couple of different directions. And it kind of is, but it's also kind of not. And with my kind of scientific engineering type right. kind of sort of brain, I'm looking at it and I'm seeing the, yeah, that curve's nowhere near the same as that curve, even though they should be a reflection <laughs> yeah. of each other. Yeah. And I see that instantly. Yeah, you know, everything I do, kind of you know, stuff around the house, DIY, I, I focus in on the mistakes very, very easily. But I've, I've kind of mostly now and I think this has helped the fact that I've been doing it every day for over 500 days. Yeah. I mostly now don't let it bother me. Good. There have been times yeah. when I've kind of gone, I suck. I'm going to, why am I even doing this? And certainly in the, in the kind of the, when it was, I was doing the Project 365 that Rob Thomas had kind of instigated, there were days when the only reason I kept going is because I'd said to Rob, if you do it, I'll do it. Mm. And I think having that kind of you know, I nothing was going, nothing that I could control is going to let me let Rob down by not doing that. Right. And there was so there were days that if I hadn't had that kind of commitment to somebody else to kind of, I am going you every day you draw, I'm going to draw. If I hadn't had that, there were days when I would have probably gone. Who am I kidding? I can't take up drawing. Yeah, I wasn't that even that good when I was 13, 14, when I dropped art at school. 30 years later, 35 years later, who do I think I can do, to be, yeah, do artistic things? I, I still don't call myself an artist. I, I, I haven't not got to that point. I'm doing art every day, but I wouldn't call myself an artist. And I, you know, there's, there's that. I could have that discussion, and I've, I've had little bits of discussion. We've had a whole podcast about that discussion. We have about <laughs> yeah. you know, is is yeah. the art, the process, not necessarily the individual pictures, but the the process. And I'm okay with that. But I, I kind of, I enjoy the process now. The the, the daily drawing. There are days when I kind of think, oh, what on earth am I going to do? Or there's days where I'm I'm just. It's towards the end of the day. I'm exhausted. I've had a busy day, and you know my back's playing up. I don't 
I really would rather just go to bed, but I, I've got this commitment. I'm going to do it and do it daily thing. And I kind of enjoy that. It's, it's possibly the completionist in me. I like I like to complete things. Yeah. Okay. Like the complete set. And so I've kind of got that, but it, it's become that enjoyable thing. And I, th I think that's, it's okay to enjoy something and not be very good at it and absolutely. still keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the people on you know, social media, whatever format it is, they go, oh, well, that's not perfect. You shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I mean, Facebook's the worst for that, particularly some of the woodworking groups. So I've left a few mm -hmm. woodworking groups because there's that kind of element of somebody puts up something and you know, there's, there's half a dozen people going, well, that's rubbish that you shouldn't have done it that way you should have done this you should have used this you shouldn't have used that tool yep. oh you used to use the domino rather than oh yeah nice to have that fancy equipment isn't it yeah but you can't cut the tenants by hand it's like so what does what does matter? it matter they enjoyed making right. it it works not every piece of wooden things made of more than one piece of wood has to be put together using some antiquated potentially mode of joining that there's a modern replacement for yeah absolutely you do dovetails not because there are better joins but because you want to do dovetails there's yeah. no other reason to do a dovetail yeah yeah so i i have you know classes where i've taught certain things i will say okay so we're we're gonna take care of this thing by doing this operation over the horn of the anvil and but if i was at my shop what I would do is walk over to the belt sander and shave that thing off because uh -huh. I've got shit to do, you know, and that's, yeah. that's, but, but here I'm going to show you like the traditional over the horn way of eliminating this deformity or getting rid of this thing. And, yeah. and yeah, and, and, and I will just point that out to, to students because some of them are interested in continuing on with other metal work and just just to say you know what you just you just gotta get there man you gotta get across the line and as, as long as you are not misrepresenting the work that you're doing hmm. you know it yeah. is if you're saying this is all forge welded and it's actually you know you've got a mig welder you're like stuck back in the corner that's that's not something i get behind but but ultimately you know you gotta you gotta get there um and you gotta get your shit done well i, I think as well that that's a, a really good thing to give to a student um you know because if you if you only showed them the way to do it over the horn of the anvil and said this is the way it is done this is the yeah. way you do yeah. it they might not know that there are other options and if you then can give that to them as like this is this is you know a technical blacksmithing rule that i kind of break that it's not even a rule and you're not even breaking anything it's just right. this is the process that i use i mean you know i know we sling shit at Raz all day but yeah. the fact that some of the stuff that rasmus makes is laser cut but then forged you know that that's something that wouldn't have traditionally been done several hundred years ago because weirdly they didn't have high-powered metal lasers. Right. But I'm pretty certain if you were to bring a, a blacksmith from 300 years ago and you know 
the dude who created the you know the the ship anchor and go would you like to use these nice fancy time saving tools that we've got Yes, Some yeah. people say are not traditional tools. Right. Would you like to use a hammer yeah. that you can yes. push with your foot and not have to knack your arm out with? <laughs> yep. Like you say, that, that kind of um, showing them the, the shortcuts to success, I suppose. Showing them that you are allowed to take a different route should you wish to. So my, my to. approach to this my approach to this is is basically I I very often like to learn the traditional hand tool way of doing things. Oh. It teaches me how the material behaves like under my hand, how it moves around. And so yeah. I like to learn that process, get relatively good at that process before I say I can I can shave a bunch of time and effort off of this um, by walking over to to the sander. Mm-hmm. or the other machine uh the other the other reason why and i do recommend you know that people learn especially for the most repeated processes learn the hand tool way of doing it is sometimes machines break yeah absolutely. And, and you've got to get through the work even even when you know the sander breaks or the power hammer is down mm-hmm well, as Tom just said, you know, you learn the right way first, and then figure yeah. out what way works for you. And they, they, that's kind of what I do with IT stuff at work and things like that. Is you know, if I'm putting a new process together for something in in AutoCAD, for instance, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's here's what we're doing, here's how we're doing it, here's why we're doing it, and here's the button that I've created so you don't have to do all that shit. Yeah, you know, it's that kind of understanding the why and the how and then here's the shortcut you know i mean it, it's the it's the old trope i know to, to drag some it into it but you know the old trope of how you fix anything is turn it off and back on again yes yeah and it's no, with a pc th- th- there is absolute reason for that and i i get that you know if i'm fixing someone's machine at work it's i get the you know oh i've just turned it off and on again oh yeah yeah well done it it's like, well, no, there is actual merit in that. It's like, I can, if you wish me to, kick you off your machine for half an hour while I go right. through and individually check which process has failed. Uh, you know, go through manually, figure out exactly what's gone wrong and reboot that one service or that one backend process. Or, yeah. or you just hit reboot, go and put, you know, go and make yourself a quick brew and then your PC's back to normal by the time you've come back to your desk you know it's i my time and your time are both costing the company money if i can if i can fix it by you clicking the reboot button and it's back up and running in three minutes or you can't do any work for half an hour and i can't do anything else for half an hour right right i i will also point out that one of the reasons why i try to learn like the hand process the traditional process is is because I enjoy blacksmithing. It's it's fun. It's like I want to learn, you know. And I I think I and I, so one time I brought one of my uh, tentacle bottle openers uh, to work, and and my boss looked at it, and he was like, "Oh my god, this is you know this is really impressive." I was like, "Thank you," and and then he says, "You know, you could probably like." 
send this over to China and they could figure out a way to make like a bunch of these that look like they're blacksmith and you could and and I looked at him and and you know like setting aside the whole ethics of that I I was like you have no idea why I do this Yeah I like making these things if if it's something that I want to, that I suddenly find myself wanting to send to China to be mass produced, I shouldn't be making that thing. Yeah. And, and there is room in making for production. Absolutely. Um, but, but it just, it sucks the joy. Like, like what Rasmus is doing. Like you said, he gets some, he gets stuff laser cut. Mm -hmm. Um, because he's running a business and he's got to get shit done. And, and for him to like sit in his shop with like a jeweler's saw cutting these things out is just stupid. So Mm -hmm. he gets these things laser cut and then he finishes them using his own processes and skills. And it, and it looks fantastic. Um, whereas, you know, if I just sent over, you know, if I mailed a tentacle bottle opener, to China, and then I got six pallets of them. <laughs> what am I doing? That's not. I mean, even even if I could sell that many, even if it was like guaranteed sales, I don't know. It it feels, eh. That's not. That's it's that. Then it becomes just a job. Yeah, like I'd, full on yeah, just a I'm, job. You get them done like that. The the likelihood is they're all going to look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whereas if I went to your stand at a, a show, I'm going to pick the one that speaks yep. to me, the one that makes me go. Yeah, if there's, if there's more than one left, I'm going to kind of go. Oh, which one? Oh, I like that one. That one. That, there's something about that one that's just just the yep. right for me. Which yeah. they're all exactly the same. You're not going to get that. It's just yeah. It's no, just that hat. is that is exactly correct. That is exactly correct. But it's it, it is that element, isn't it, of sticking with the blacksmithing? Yeah, a production shop nowadays is going to use every possible technique to get things done as quickly as possible. The same would have happened two hundred years ago, four hundred years ago. Absolutely. They're still trying to produce things as quickly as possible. But they would have had, for example, as, as Alex Pohl has talked about, you know, the, the there would be that guy who's all he ever makes is is nails, right? And they would be so practiced, and their muscle memory would be so good, and their muscles would be tuned to making twice, three times as many nails a day than a a professional, modern, brilliant blacksmith like Alex Pohl could possibly do. Because all they ever made was males. They didn't make anything else because yep. there'd be another guy that would make that other things. Yeah. Well, I, I actually, so I actually think like the Forge, Alex, Alex Pole shop where, where Steve works mm-hmm. is the perfect example of a shop that combines production work and artistry. Yeah. Because right. they... Some of the stuff they they do, like I I think their pans are now done for them, yeah. and they come in. I I don't know that for sure. So if I'm wrong about that, um, the but... the actual of the pan 
body is spun, yep. but then yep. the the handles and the riveting attaching and everything else is is still all done in house. Yep. It's just the actual the, the spun base. But I mean, it, it, that's exactly it. The because I, I I was going to lead into exactly the same thing, John, of, of them being um, a perfect example of that because they've got those like fuck around Friday that they have where yep. they'll all have a play at making something. And then that process gets refined and turned into a production process. So yep. it's making specific custom tooling to make them repeatable or easier to produce or quicker to produce. Yeah. Um, but it still has that same aesthetic and it's still being produced by all the same people. It's just that they're, they're doing the efficiency cost benefit analysis of let's invest some money and some tool in here and then we can you know, if we're making two hundred of these or two thousand of these, yep. we can make them for, you know, uh, better profit margin, which is what what business yeah. is all about. And, yeah, you and have to. You has always happened. Yeah, you have to. You can't. You you can't like run a business making two of something per day. Exactly. Un unless they're unless, very big. Unless very you're able to sell like those two things for like eight thousand dollars each. Yeah. If you can do that, that's great, but I can't do that. So I I can't make two things a day and expect to be profitable. Yeah. Especially if you're making a pair of chopsticks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which is which is my biggest seller right now. Mm-hmm. So you, I mean talking talking about it, so you you've 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 sold your tentacle bottle openers you're selling your chopsticks yep is that ability to sell things because you you say you, you started blacksmithing essentially as uh, not thinking about it but essentially as a, a form of therapy yes and you're now you you have a a good size shop of your own yes and you're producing stuff to sell so is that is there an element of that production because you want to to sell you want to be a, a not necessarily a full-time production smith but you want to be somebody who sells yeah or is it something you do kind of well i've got this shop i need to sell stuff in order to keep the shop going it's it's a little of both it is i i like having my stuff out in the world so there is that, but there is also the reality that, that I've got a shop that has rent and insurance and a bunch of other things, and it needs to be supported. And, and I, I do have a day job, so, you know, I do have other work, uh, but at the same time, you know, it is the, the, the shop is of a size and this is entirely my fault, but the shop is of a size where it can't be like something I just don't work on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it has to some degree it needs to support itself. Yeah, of course. So I'm I'm kind of in a blended. So whereas you have people like in the blacksmithing world rasmus who that is his job he doesn't mm -hmm. have a day job he just makes stuff and sells it and if he doesn't do that he doesn't have money same thing with alex pole he's running a business um mm -hmm. 
Whereas I'm kind of, you know, so you have the person where that's their job, they have to do it. You have someone on the other end who is a pure hobbyist. They've, they've got, you know, a tiny little gas forge and an anvil in their garage and, and they're, they are doing it whenever they can. And then you've got someone like me in the middle where it is, it is not my full-time job, but it is definitely far more than a hobby. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, Christopher Dewar in the, um, the chat has said, yeah, it's, it's like the different forms of, of the maker movement, you know, the kind of hobbyists mm. versus professionals. And like so much in this kind of movement, you know, like the arts that we talked about at the group chat a while ago, it, things aren't black and white. There's, right. there's so much merging of ideas and there's, there's gray and there's blurriness and there, yeah, there, there are people who, you know, I'm sure we've all been to craft fairs where there's, there's a wood turner who's, a guy who's retired he's had yeah he's been turning for 50 years mm-hmm. but he's retired now and he only sells stuff at a price that covers the price of the blank and the table or the table he's doing for the day rather than yeah, yeah. so you've got some amazing piece of turning that he's selling for 30 bucks that for the time that's gone into it and the skill and the experience that's gone into it, it should be being sold for 300 yeah bucks. yeah mm-hmm. Which of course is, is 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 not helping those people who are like Rasmus who are trying to make a living from selling something, and that, that becomes you know, so much harder because you've got this kind of hobbyist who's selling, but only just because it's it's a nice day out and people all these people come along and tell me how great my stuff is and they, yeah. they take some of it away and give me money that I can then go and buy some more for. It's just like self-sustaining because they're doing it in their garage and they're not having they're not renting a shop. Yeah, and they've got tools bills and yeah, they get they get a new they get a new yeah uh, a new chisel or a a skew or something for their Christmas present and their birthday present because the people that are close to them know that yeah I'll look on their Amazon wish list and. Yeah, just buy the kind of the next chisel that they want that's going to get worn out because the other one's literally gone from you know, a foot long <laughs> 20 years ago to you know, it's four inches of blade left now. I met a blacksmith up in uh, northern Vermont last year um, by the name of, of Frank Latham. And, and don't bother Googling him. Um, but I, I went up to his shop because like my buddy up there was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm on the volunteer fire force with Frank. You should, let's head over to his shop. And, and it was, it was a shop attached to his house and as it had been for decades and his work was off the charts, Mm -hmm. just an amazing, amazing blacksmith, um, in his, I'm going to guess late sixties, early seventies. And I looked at at the guy, and I was like, "This is fucking incredible." I was like, "Are you on Instagram?" And he looks at me, and he and he was like, "Fuck that! I've never owned a computer." <laughs> yeah, he was just like, "No, no." And 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 it, 
I think that's that's a that's an important you know is there are people out there still yeah. who are yeah. amazing artists and we don't know about them because they're not in this melange of social media and content yeah. creation and you know all of this all of this other stuff they're just sitting quietly in their shop making stuff and and he's not you know and, and he is even in his retirement running a business like if you go to um the the 5000 square foot multi million dollar log cabins up in Vermont you will find a fair amount of his work you know in and around the fireplaces banisters all of that type of stuff um mm. but but he does not he's just like i have no urge to do instagram or any of that stuff um people show up and they they tell me to make stuff and then they pay me for it and <laughs> the check's clear and that's that's about all i need so, uh, like, I sorry jimmy you go i was gonna say my, my father-in-law's sort of done something similar in that that sort of respect He's, uh, they run a health and safety training company, um, and he's now retired from it. Right. Uh, you know, so they, they they do tool training, you know, chainsaw training, or or steel saw training, or um, forklift training, or you know, all these kind of like uh, either hands on training sessions or actual, you know, the the academic uh, health and safety training side for right. businesses and things like that. So you know it's fairly intensive, and he's you know across the board he's he's been involved in all of that and all of those training aspects. Um, but the thing he was doing for fun was like making train sets and stuff. Um, okay, because that's his fun passion project. So he, he sort of learned a load of electronic stuff to do all points and lights and decked it all out and things, and then was wanting to start learning bits of modeling to do. Uh, you know, making all the little miniatures and houses and scenes and all the rest of stuff, and then retired and and decided to buy himself a laser cutter to to make some of the buildings and things. You know, it's like a fun little project to do. And next thing he's he's got an eBay store and he's making you know a, a decent wage, uh, building up this business of making things like desk organizers and all sorts of things but he, he's like making stuff that he needs and then going oh well, I'll make another one and I'll just list it on eBay and then, yeah. yep. oh hang on someone's decided to buy that and then I've got a message from someone saying can you make one that's this big instead so then he'll yeah. figure out how to make it and he's gone from like you know building stuff you know like buildings and doing bits of repairs on vehicles or doing tool training to then like learning 3D modeling and design for laser cutting and these packages to do these things and it, he's like absolutely in his element. He hasn't been in touch with his train track for bloody ages because he's now found this new fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's just the, I, think, kind of... I think we forget that as the maker community who are involved in social media whether it's YouTube or Instagram we're at, we're just the tip of the iceberg. We're the visible bit, right? Particularly yes. for us. But like like most icebergs, it's a little bit lumpy because there are other, like you say, like the, the model railway people who kind of you know, get together and mm -hmm. they they know about each other and 
they link in the same sort of way but maybe wouldn't call themselves makers in the same way that we might yeah but there are all these people that just just they, they don't do social media well they do social media for maybe you know they're, they're one of their other hobbies maybe some sport or you know, the fact they like food or just going out walking and they take photographs and the like but they wouldn't think of going and showing pictures of their making yeah. because or they're not interested in doing that because they just want to get on and make and I think uh, this the, 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 so one I mentioned him my brother-in-law is uh, I've mentioned before he's a fantastic engineer he's a natural engineer right yeah we talked about cars and, and at the start and yeah doing stuff like he's done that he's he's done bits of blacksmithing he's, he's made his own giant 3d printer and I mean yeah things huge yeah beds yeah six times the size of a standard 3d printer and you know, can print things kind of you know, three quarters of a meter tall he's made cnc routers and he just he he loves making stuff mm. he can make just about anything he turns his mind to he can do stuff with electronics he can do stuff with metal whether that's machining or whether that's blacksmithing he can do stuff with wood he, he, he's sickeningly talented right yeah he's just he's just it, it's a it's just god-given talent that he's got for fixing things making things yeah, he's got a single social media yeah he, he just well he, he's on linkedin because of his profession he, yeah <laughs> he needs to be on linkedin because of his profession other than that yeah he, he's never done twitter he's never done facebook he's never done instagram he's never done youtube uses youtube to find stuff out yeah yeah but it doesn't doesn't do any of that stuff and you know i i, I swear if he if he put his mind to it if something yeah i mean he's a fantastic photographer as well yeah i mean he, t he taught me how to process black and white photography a long time ago right yeah and let me the kit because he had the kit and yeah I, I borrowed the kit off him for ages he he's if he put his mind to it and, and and went on YouTube, he and showed the stuff and, and had over the years, the last just just the last ten years, showed the stuff he's he's made. And I've I've known him for over thirty years now. But if he just did the stuff from the last ten years and shared it on YouTube, he would have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of subscribers. But he doesn't do that. And I've no doubt that there are hundreds of other people like him in the UK, maybe thousands, who produce amazing stuff, but would never dream of sharing that beyond maybe the, the guy who next door pokes his head around the garage and goes, oh, what are you doing today, mate? Mm. Yeah, kind of you know, wanders in. And a bit of me kind of thinks that's fantastic there's another bit of me kind of very frustrated that actually there are people who I'd love to see more work of some of these people um, in fact it's, it's, it's kind of a I've got this project in mind to actually kind of try and speak to this uh, there are people in the village I, I mentioned last week that I've, I discovered a 3D printing guy in the village okay. who's doing film props yeah he's, he's got this 
I would call it bibliography, it's filmography that he's been involved in. It's got some really big films in it. Mm. Yeah, like like Marvel. Yeah, he's he's got props in mm. at least a two, if not three, Marvel films, possibly more. Just the ones I can remember the top of my head. But there's also a guy whose house I walk past every day, who I'd bump into every now and again when he's sorting things out of his garage. Who is he's in his early eighties. He's been making model aircraft since he was a, a preteen, yeah, you know, before he was even a teenager. He's been making model aircraft, and you know the number of times where I've, you know, we've had conversations like for an hour. I'm walking the dog, and my wife will go, "Where have you been? Have you had such a long walk?" I said, "No, I've only done my normal twenty-five to thirty-minute walk around the village, but I've spent an hour talking to Brian." And you know, just kind of learning stuff, and yeah. It's kind of the knowledge that that guy has about model aircraft from you know, seventy years ago to the modern day, and it's not like he stayed in the stuff from seventy years ago. Yeah, he's got mm. top-notch kit. Yeah, he'll put four or five different aircraft into the boot of his car to go off on a, a Sunday morning to fly if the weather's right. And he's yeah he's got all the latest kind of stuff yeah the latest kind of transponders and and the like and it's like there you go oh I've got some friends who are into drones yeah yeah I tried that yeah I wasn't that fussed about drones we've had a, we've got a couple of members of the club who are kind of really into drones but I I, I, I prefer planes personally and it's like <laughs> just think how much knowledge has that guy yeah. got yeah. about that. And yeah, in some ways, it's 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 fantastic that that exists, and I'm sure he. I I know that he has shared that knowledge to other members of the the, the club that he's in, and has been in. He's lived in the village for I think something like forty or fifty years. Hmm. So yeah, he's he's been a member of that club for however long. But yeah, how many? How much more could could it have been shared? But does it need to be shared? In some ways, yes. Yeah. It's like the blacksmithing. If yeah, Blacksmithing's having a bit of resurgence now because of the likes of Forged in Fire. But right. as, a, as, a, as an industry, it could easily have disappeared completely. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, even kind of, a farrier is probably the kind of closest thing to a, the industry that perhaps wouldn't die out, but, you know, Production shoes, mash made on machines, but they still have to be fitted to the horse. Yeah. A, a, a different set of skills, a unique set of skills for a farrier. But it's kind of like the element of well, should everything be shared? Are there enough people sharing the information that's out there? I mean, these are just rhetorical questions. I probably ones for much extended quest you know, debate, perhaps. So my my feeling on this is, so it is somewhat frustrating that you have these these people out there who are so talented and and um, and they're not out there like showing their work off, letting people outside of their village or their neighborhood appreciate the work. So that is frustrating. At the same time, there is a certain joy in discovering that person. Yeah. Like walking into Frank's 
blacksmithing shop and and just looking around like oh my god this is amazing and and it it's it's a special thrill to like find that guy who's tucked away in a town of 600 people in northern vermont who is just doing off the charts good work uh, but the only people who know about him are his customers and other blacksmiths in northern vermont mm-hmm. yeah you know and, and if you're lucky you, you can like go on to instagram or pinterest and search that person's name as a hashtag and come up with like one or two like little bits and pieces that somebody else has posted but i don't know there's i i think it's it's i think it's almost kind of nice that some of this stuff stays hidden and is discoverable and you have that thrill because you know frank's not on instagram you know what other people are filling the gap it's fine yes. True. <laughs> but yeah. do you not think that there is a responsibility in a in an age where people can grow these kind of platforms and get that artwork or that demonstrable craft out into the open world for more people to uh, get joy and pleasure out of it? Do you not think there is a responsibility for either him or his customers to do that? You know, if, if if you buy something from him and have social media, you should put that out there and and sort of uh, add the hashtags in and stuff to, to get more eyes onto it, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. No, not necessarily. I mean, I would um, because that, that, but I think a lot of like his customers, they're, they're just that, they're customers. And and maybe they are posting it, but they're not doing the hashtags because they're not, you know. So yeah, it's form versus function, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Like I said, I I think I I think it's it's nice to have some stuff out there in the maker world and the craft world that has yet to be discovered, and you can be that that special mm. person who walks into a shop. And be like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, I, th- I, I think, I think, I think I agree with that. I think there, mm. there is. I, th- I, I think it's good. In actually, I think it's actually really good that there are people who love to make, but don't feel a need to prove. That they love to make by using right. social media. Yeah, yeah. But I also, I, I do, I do sometimes fear that some, maybe some crafts or some skills may get lost. Whether this, there are so few people doing something. I, I guess we see that in kind of. There's a couple of videos out and about showing scissor making in Sheffield. Yeah, beautiful videos. I'll, I'll I'll see if I can find one for to sort of share in the links. There's there's, okay. a, there's a couple of different ones, and the, the, these these are handcrafted. They they take hours to make, 
and yeah, the majority of that time is is kind of the finishing and the skills involved in doing that. Tuning and balancing and, and yeah, and so you get these scissors that are just just so right. You know, they're 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 a joy to use. And I'm sure we've all used scissors that are you know, cheap and nasty, and they're like horrible. And yeah, if you've got a pair of scissors that are just really nice, and I've, I've got I've got a pair of scissors in my kind of pot. In fact, they're just there. That I've had uh, since eighty eight, no, eighty nine, ninety. They're not really expensive scissors, but they are nice. Mm. Not superbly nice. But they're probably one of the nicest pairs of scissors I've got. And I've got dozens of pairs of scissors in the house. But they're lovely. They are nice scissors. In fact, probably the only scissors that are in the house that are probably better are probably my wife's fabric scissors. Which, not stupidly expensive, but were a good amount of money. And have only used for fabric on pain of death. Mm-hmm. Yep. But those, those those skills to make a really nice pair of scissors that are nice to use and just fit in the hand nicely are being lost because yeah. there's very few people doing it. They're retiring and dying and not passing on these skills. And one could argue, well, actually, you don't need to. I've got, I've got a couple of pairs of Fiskar scissors out in the Tinkerage, which are really nice scissors. They've got, they're not cheap scissors. They're nice. But they're mass-produced. Every single pair of yeah. Fiskar scissors feels the same. And not because there's some guy who's been doing it for 60 years right. who knows exactly how to ease a hinge or ease, a, a, ease the edge using kind of you know, strops that are you know, 60 years old as well. But because they are produced on superbly expensive superbly made german engineering japanese engineering at its best that's why they're good scissors not because there's some guy who has owned has spent 40 hours a week right for 50 weeks of the year for the last 50 years making scissors and he learned from a guy who had done exactly the same and and so on for the last 150 years yeah i mean it's a specific point in i think one of the videos that you and i've both seen with that is um a couple of you know guys who were the guys who would tune the scissors and these are guys who've been doing it for 40 50 60 years um and they were they were discussing how they've got apprentices who are learning this craft but it takes so such an uh, an amount of time for them to learn that craft that they you know they can't they can't take over and do it. So at the minute they will you know th- these guys are are there with with the pair of scissors and they'll 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 do a test cut in something, and then they'll lay the scissors out on on like a sandbag and they know exactly where to tap it to just nudge the blade enough. It's an imperceptible amount of yeah. You know, it's just that super honed skill of doing that one thing for that amount of time. That's why those scissors will cost 180 quid or whatever they are. But they'll be the last pair of scissors you'll ever need to buy because they will—they right. will 
outlast everything for generations. Right. So, so my take on this, and and though I would I would never like say it's it's a good thing for skills to be lost, um, but you know as skills go away, there is also the perspective that it it provides us with the opportunity to rediscover them, relearn them. Um, to to say, you know what? Nobody nobody is doing this anymore. There's no documentation for making this pair of scissors, and you know what? I am going to sit in my shop and I'm going to figure it out. Uh-huh. And and you may not figure out the exact same way of doing it, but but it's it's you figured it out. So. I, I think on occasion, like I said, losing a body of knowledge is never a good thing. But when it happens, it does open up the opportunity to rediscover and relearn and 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 do it again. So right. it's it's almost a re- it's, I I don't think it's a loss so much as the potential of renewal. And not just the renewal, I think, as well, that the the other things that are discovered along that way, you know, a good example, though, might be traditional Damascus steel. Right. You know, the, the, the mystique around, you know, like actual steel from Damascus. Right. You know, yep. in the, the techniques that they used that were lost and then the the process that people have been trying to rediscover over the last couple of hundred years. Yep. And the, the, the metallurgy and developments in techniques and things now that we've got to a point where we've, we have steels that are way outside what Damascus ever was from trying to discover how they did it. You know, and it's it, maybe that rediscovery or that a- attempt to rediscover the previous techniques might garner new bits of knowledge or new techniques yeah. that they'd have never done because they were you know of that time or of that skill set or of that teaching you know it's it's the it's similar to the the way that the maker mentality is you know having it professionals taking blacksmithing and right not someone who's come straight out of school into blacksmithing and doing it the traditional way for their entire life you, you're approaching it from a completely different mindset completely different yeah viewpoint can i use this tool this way you know uh, i think i think us. alex pole is a good example of that because he absolutely jeweler yeah so i mean i think there's this slightly different you know talking about somebody who's gone from it to blacksmithing i think that's that is a that's a route and we may know people who've done that um <laughs> but you take somebody like alex who trained as a jeweler so he's he he knows about working metal at mm-hmm. a scale that is very different and he learns about design and then stepping into blacksmithing and taking techniques and taking design ideas and bringing that into you know, now you know, predominantly cookware yeah that's that's producing things that perhaps would never have been produced before mm-hmm. so i think that I think I think you're right when you say it's like John. You say yeah, it, it, it's okay that maybe some information is lost, because actually it might take somebody in a slightly different route. Yeah, yeah. And you take on, okay, because sometimes when somebody is, I mean, I think this is a 
example may not be the best one here you know somebody who's done exactly the same thing for 50 years making something in that particular way there's that market essentially for the traditional scissors at you know, 200 pounds a pair um depending on the size and there is that market for those that exquisite level of manufacture yeah i mean we talked to a barber once you know the price they were paying like 250 300 pounds or more for a pair of barber scissors barbering scissors mm. I, mean, I mean and some of them are amazing pieces of engineering but if you've got somebody who's 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 done that particular thing they know that thing so well they can tap that pair of scissors on that sandbag yeah and get that in indiscernible change to anyone else but it just makes that pair of scissors that so much better but i think somebody else who's maybe done a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that who's kind of going comes in and goes yeah but what if we use the power hammer for this that could that could make such a difference and right. it may not work at all but it may of course produce something that's like so much better but wouldn't have been considered by yeah. someone who's oh no this is the way we do it this is the way it's been done for 200 years right it's the way yep. we've got to carry on yep. doing it mm. well is, is it this perfect point in the night to I just talk about, about say, our attentions yeah, seeing as we've, yeah. we've got to that point where we're either going to talk for another three hours or or fall asleep well i mean I, from... I, I will point out knowing i was going to be on this podcast tonight i i did take a full day of leave from work tomorrow <laughs> so i can i can go until eight o'clock tomorrow night if if you know if, if you guys have your red bull um ready to go like quarts of it <laughs> i think i'm yeah, just intravenous caffeine that, that yeah in less, in less than six hours, I've got to be up and kind of preparing breakfasts and pack lunches. Okay, so uh, I guess that's a no. <laughs> this time, yeah. This time, we'll, next time, John. We'll wait till the summer. We'll, we'll get you back on the summer break. Okay. And, uh, uh, maybe we can go a bit longer. Well, I haven't got to get up and make pack lunches. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have to keep in mind. For me, it is seven thirty p.m. in the evening. Uh, for you, it is considerably later. You're half midway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, John. Well, so. Uh, for, again, for, as, I, as I usually do, sort of the, our, our attention grabbers are about the things that we've been maybe working on, maybe things we're thinking towards working on, maybe it's things we've watched, maybe it's books we've read. It can be anything that's been grabbing our attention. Okay. Uh, good it's our it's version of yeah. the spiffing. Okay. Yeah, I, I I love how how the uh, the the spinoff podcasts from Fools with Tools are all trying to find their own way of saying spiffing without <laughs> saying spiffing. We have generally have slightly more success on here by not saying spiffing than the chaps over at Two Thirds Focused. Yeah, they 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 they're going to have to start paying royalty fees. Yeah. 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 No, I'm. I've I've already filed a copyright notice uh, for the boys, so uh, Red and Rasmus and Jan will be getting that shortly. It's going to be really awkward the next next time I see them, though. <laughs> so, do you want me to go first? Do you guys want? Yeah, to go? yeah. We, we normally get go the guests first. Go first. Oh, yes. okay. 
So I actually uh, picked out, so this is, this is both making and it also kind of harkens back to what I did before I started blacksmithing. So books and this is, so I have two artists and one is uh, Stopan, uh, let me, Stopan Doskalov and uh, he's well, Bulgarian and he is a bookbinder. So he makes highly, like, like he makes books and he makes them in the traditional way and, and like, you know, leather covers makes, you know, in some cases I think he's making his own paper and he wow. like enters book binding competitions. So he, he is an artist book binder and his videos are so relaxing um he is one of the most ser serious people on youtube to the point mm. where sometimes i wonder if he's if he's winding us up if he's just being like theatrically stoic and but i don't <laughs> think so i think he's actually he's but but he does amazing work uh making books making prints and paper and and all of this kind of wonderful stuff um and then the and so he's he has i think on youtube a following of something like uh, 16 somewhere between 16 and twenty thousand. so he's not like Ooh. i would say a complete unknown mm -hmm. um but but not a, a huge following on the other end of the spectrum i've got uh isabel Usman who is a, yeah. a mixed media artist who destroys books but not so really. I know that name. so what she does is she takes books and she carves dioramas into yeah. them page by page going down and and does and and they are incredible Stunning. and like her attention to detail her art is absolutely amazing. Um, I believe she is originally from the UK, uh, now living in uh, Slovakia. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, and she has like like she has a following of like five hundred people on YouTube, and deserves so much more because her work is just I think it's off the charts. It's exquisite. I, yeah, I, mm. I, yeah, I discovered her. Few months back, yep, and her work is just exquisite and it's so involved, far more patience than I have, yeah, yeah. So that's that's one guy who makes books and a woman who destroys them, and they're both fantastic, yeah. I'll uh, I think you might need to send me a link to the first chap because I'm not sure okay. I spelled <laughs> his name correctly, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, as well, I know her, her work. Uh, she's on Instagram as well. Yeah. Yes, she is. It's, uh, absolutely amazing. Mm. Jimmy, what's been grabbing your attention? Well, Mr. Dr. Multi. I have to call him Ooh, Mr. Dr. Yes. Multi because just to annoy him. Um, and because he hasn't had a mention in this one and he has to have an obligatory mention. No. But he did a fantastic uh, sort of challenge to the masses uh, and kicked it off with his own 60 second video. Which was a uh, sort of bean to lips of making an espresso. It's a beautiful video with James's 
delightful way of, of filming and editing and putting the, the whole thing together with his absolutely wicked sense of humor in there as well. Uh, yes. That, that video glorious. deserves to go viral. Really Very much does. so. I, I've already tagged people like James Hoffman um, in the Instagram really? things to just to, to just try and get eyes on it, but it, it's difficult to get to reach out to James. But um, but yeah, it absolutely uh, it needs to be seen by all. It is damn good. The only other thing I've been sort of doing really is looking at exhausts for my car. Oh, um, okay. They are annoyingly expensive to get the OEM parts, and it looks like mm. it might be cheaper for me to get a nice, a nice fancy custom stainless steel one. So, um, might have to do that. Uh, what about some, you, Andy? Some exhaust, some exhaust wrap. That'll do it. Well, yeah, yeah. It would probably get us through, but yeah, if I'm gonna if that. I'm gonna replace yeah. the parts, it's like it's six hundred quid for. The, the OEM, you know, proper manufacturer type replacement parts, or about three to four hundred quid for a stainless steel one that will outlast the car. So that might be the, uh, the more sensible option. And you're still waiting for your heating as well, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, hopefully the heating should be by the time this goes out as the audio version. Hopefully, should be uh, Tuesday coming up. Hopefully, we will have heating again. Good. It would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've got a couple. We've got some warmer days this week. Oh, certainly my down, my corner of the UK. We've got a couple of warmer days. Yeah. Um, we it's... may reach double figures once or twice. Yeah, I, th I think that's about where we're going to be at this coming week. But we 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 did realise um, my wife and I were saying earlier on that we've we've got so used to it now that whenever there is a slight bit of warmth, we're absolutely sweltering. So it should be uh, it should be fun, you know, blasting the heating system to let it all settle in and just being you'll be, you'll be far too hot. Like yeah. a sauna, yeah. Because <laughs> we're adding a new radiator to the system and everything as well, and yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a joy. Mm. How about you, Andy? What's been grabbing your attention? Well, I was I was going to mention uh, yeah I was going to mention uh, James's video as well, but yeah, let you have that one. Um, I've been doing a bit more in the garden, a bit more work on fence panels, uh, a bit more work on sorting things out of sheds and things. Um, but apart from that, midweek I might have possibly recorded an episode of Thoughts from the Tinkerage. Yeah, you did. Which hasn't happened for eight months. Mm. So hopefully I'm going to try and get that going back on a regular basis. Excellent. I've got plenty of things to talk about. It wasn't that long. I kind of ended up a bit in the car and then a bit back at home. And I made the mistake of just using a uh, headphone mic, which didn't sound quite as good as using <laughs> the posh mic I've got. But I'll try and sort that out if I need to record at home. Uh, car was a bit fun. My, my phone, I had a new phone last year and the, the mic on it for recording is not quite as good as the old phone. Even though it's the same mm. manufacturer, it's just a couple of couple of models up, uh, just well, a couple of models newer, I think, rather than up. So that was, yeah, it was good to get that working again. I was a bit worried the last time I took a break from Thoughts on the Tinkerage, nothing uploaded, 
I, for all I know, actually, I, I, well, I know a few people got it, but for all I know, maybe it didn't get everywhere. But last time I kind of uploaded a video, uh, a, a recording, and it didn't get published to any platform. I had to kind of contact Anchor and go, this hasn't gone out. I only had a two-month gap, but this time I think it all went out. So, okay. so that was good. So hopefully back on the back on back on the, the path with that. So kind of all about habits, and that's kind of what I'm trying to work on at the moment. Is is kind of habits yeah. uh, and trying not to forget things. Right. Like the the other day, I I, I worked on, on Saturday. I kind of realised by looking at the calendar packs of tablets that I have to take, that I hadn't taken my tablets on Friday, which is like... Mm. I've, I've started writing the dates on mine for this, exactly the same reason. <laughs> well, I've got... I have to take a, a bunch, and a couple, several of them, most of them, come in calendar packs. So they literally say mm. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So it's fairly easy to keep track, assuming you actually... I, I do not know I have not been able to work out how I failed because I've got a routine I take them at the same time every day shit Somehow, getting old isn't it <laughs> yeah I think that might be something yeah. to do with it yeah, yeah it does <laughs> yeah so I've got I've kind of yeah I'm working on habits I'm going to talk more about habits in Thoughts and Tinkerage at some point because they're powerful things but I've, I've got things in place to try and improve that so hopefully not forget again. So yeah, that that that's hectic week with kind of life and family and stuff, but that's kind of every week, so nothing new there. So might even try I might even try and do a one minute video. Hey. Not promising anything. Yeah, okay. not promising anything. But you never know. I did have a think if there was anything I could uh contribute to the uh, to the challenge but I haven't, I haven't come up with anything as yet I might just I might just cheat and kind of yeah, record my dog snoring for a minute <laughs> tell a one minute video might go it viral. would be adorable <laughs> yeah as long as the postman doesn't knock on the door at the same time <laughs> on that note John where can people find you well, on Instagram, I am John D. Harvey. Uh, on YouTube, I believe if you search JDH Metalcraft, it'll come up pretty quickly. Um, and that's that's pretty. I mean, I I am on Facebook, but I just have a profile that I use for personal stuff. So if you're looking for me, go go to Instagram. I do have a website. It is woefully under updated. Which is something I want to fix this year. So, so uh, go go to my website later, <laughs> but not but not now. Um, but yeah, Instagram John D Harvey is the best place to find me. Brilliant. Uh, next week, Brilliant. next week we we possibly have a certain <laughs> Al. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. We've st still, still a question uh, mark. Yeah, it's got a bit of a question mark. Kind of, hopefully, going to get a confirmation. We're going to have to pester and get a proper confirmation. Okay. Um, At some point before next Sunday's evening episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> ideally, in enough time to get somebody else if we need to. I think we've got Brett the week after. Um, 
So that's uh, 37 and 38. I can't remember who we got for 39. It might be Sean Brown. Sean Brown. Um, then episode 40, we got the full Carnage. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> so yeah, there's a few more. There's a few more guests already booked in for after that as well. We'll, we'll skip those. I mentioned one earlier. Right. We've got a date for Morley. Um, well, we've actually mentioned all the the three other people we've got booked in have all been mentioned at some point this evening. Ah. So, not as yeah, that. in in other contexts. Yeah, I've got I've got a list of a few more people I'm going to contact this week to to see if they can come on. So looking forward to that. Very good. I realised before, just before we, I, we came on this evening, I realised that I needed to make sure I think about the difference in daylight saving starting and British summertime starting because it's not that far away. Right. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So I need to kind of make sure that I, yeah, if I'm asking somebody on from the UK, it's not too much of a problem because I'm thinking in UK time, but asking folks from across the pond uh, yeah. what time they're coming on, yeah. got to watch out for that difference in time change because there's, a, I think, a two-week gap, two weeks difference uh, when it would be really noticeable. Mm. Uh, hopefully we'll be on top of that. It'd be fine. It'd be fine. <laughs> we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, exactly. Cow, exactly. I love Malifaux. <laughs> right, on that note, I think... John, thank you very much people. for joining us. It oh, it's a great time. Fun. Yeah, no, I, I love being on the show. I appreciate everything that you guys are doing. Um, I, I love uh, coming, you know, when you do your shows, coming on the live stream and, and giving both Steve and Rasmus shit. Um, as much as I can, uh, it is a highlight. Uh, but yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It was great fun. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. It's it, as we've said so many times now. You know, it's, for us, this is just a great opportunity to talk to our friends. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. That's why we. we it's going to just keep on why going on because yeah, <laughs> we have plenty to get through. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm going to hit the button. Right. Good night, right. folks. Cheers, bye.